Welcome to another episode of the Renegade Joint Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Joint Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group's about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No guru bullshit from the front. No smell of stale coffee, Ben Gay, and or disappointment. You know exactly what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where we have several shows every week hitting the the iTunes and the SoundCloud for you and um, hopefully educate you and uh, entertain you. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do me a favor. Go on to iTunes and rate and review. It's one of the few ways we can grow the podcast. And I don't get much information from iTunes, unfortunately. All I get are downloads. And we all know a download is not a listen. So if you rate and review, I know you're listening and it helps the podcast grow. To everybody sharing the podcast, thank you. I really do appreciate it and I've seen you guys doing it. And if I miss that, if I miss you sharing it, I don't thank you. I apologize. I do I do really appreciate it and it really does help continue doing it and thank you. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm also on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And of course, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. All right. Legal disclaimer. Don't blame me. In no way, shape or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, that you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. Being an adult, don't sue me. All right, time for the Renegade Detroit Investors Show Quote of the Week, where I pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast and hopefully your week. And maybe Tim can help us. Tim, what is the difference between a tax auditor and a Rottweiler? I don't know. A Rottweiler eventually lets go. Yeah, that's a good one. All right, let me introduce you to my guest today, the esteemed Tim Harden. Tim Harden is a tax attorney who concentrates his practice in the following areas, tax planning and tax problem resolution tax return preparation, and estate planning. He also represents many realtors, financial planners, and other business owners with tax and legal planning in the areas of real estate and business transactions, including mergers and acquisitions. He knows his stuff, folks. For over 12 years, Tim has practiced law in Detroit metro area, including his own solo practice. In addition, Mr. Harden has served as outside general counsel for businesses in a variety of industries. He's also been a speaker at various seminars related to taxation and is always interested in discuss uh, discussing additional speaking engagements. Uh, Mr. Harden attended the University of Michigan for both his undergraduate and law school, graduating with a BA in history um, and a JD. What is that? Law degree. There you go. See, I don't even know. (laughs) I went to college for three weeks. You can tell (laughs) respectively afterwards he earned a master of laws. Yep. All right, just dude smart, right? Wayne State University, went to school forever, earned a certificate in probate and estate planning from the Institute of Continuing Legal Education. Mr. Arden's professional memberships include the Livonia Bar Association, State Bar of Michigan, and the American Bar Association. He is also a member of the tax, probate, and estate planning and business sections of the State Bar. Uh, You can check him out. He's got an office at 255 East Brown Street, Suite 320 in Birmingham, Michigan. Hit him up on his phone, 248-645-2511. T. Harden at Barry Mormon, M-O-O-R-M-A-N, 
And of course, go to barrymormon.com. All this will be in the show notes. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's a lot of damn school, dude. Yeah. How many years you go to school? Well, seven through law school. And then the, the LLM took another probably four. But I was going nights while I was working. So I was taking a class or two at a time. So it was a lot. Yeah. Well, my three weeks of math and basically it adds up to 11 years of school. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. And some of the most boring shit on the planet, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go back. At what point? Did Tim say, you know what I want to do? Taxes. <laughs> it was really after I started practicing law, actually. If you want something really boring, what I started in was insurance defense litigation. Oh, my God. Which is basically <laughs> reading you know, 30 or 40 page long insurance policies. This is all commercial. So it's commercial insurance policies and then going through boxes of documents to try to find you know exceptions and loopholes to that. It was, I mean, that was just brutal. Are you <laughs> so, kidding me? Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. People hire people for that. Yeah, you do. And it's, I mean, they do well. Like the firm I was at, the guy, he does really well doing it, you know, representing the insurance companies. But it's just, I remember during that, remember that blackout in like 2003? Yeah. Think, yeah. I had to, I walked up the, like, what were we on? The, probably the 10th story of our building to carry down boxes because we had a deadline the next week. I had to go through all these discovery requests. So I was like, I carried down like five or six boxes to take to my apartment, you know, in the blackout. That's in the blackout yeah. to do five or yeah. six. How long does it take you to read a box? Oh, like it could be a day. I oh, mean, my God. You're looking for specific things. So sometimes you can skip through some documents, but it, it takes a while. It's, I mean, it's they haven't created a machine that can do this yet. No. Well, because a lot of stuff, you're one, you're looking for like legally privileged stuff. So it's kind of the judgment call. And then things that specifically address the situation, which, again, is. Could be, it's a judgment call, so it's, it's, it would be hard. I mean, they have they do have machines to um, like categorize and tab the stuff because it used to be you'd have to go through and hand bait stamp it. They call it where you hand stamp every page. So that that's automated Ooh. now. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's painful. Yeah, yeah, that was usually the paralegals would do that, but it still was time consuming. How many years of that before taxes looks good? <laughs> really, not that long. It was probably less than a year. You know, I was like, this is not what I signed up to do. But well, you wanted to be a lawyer at first, right? Mm-hmm. So, you, so obviously that's not an easy school to get through. At what point right. did you realize you wanted to be a lawyer, or you thought you wanted to be a lawyer? Well. I, see, I originally went to undergrad to actually, I started off in engineering briefly in the naval architecture and marine engineering, which sounded really cool. I'm, I'm glad it didn't work out. Like the physics killed me. I, I, that was like a semester or two and I had to get out of that. But also I get really seasick, which I learned later. So I'm kind of glad that, that yeah, that would have been miserable. <laughs> yeah. huh? So, and then, you know, so I went into history, um, which is really what I was intending to do. I wanted to be a classics professor. So I took a lot of Latin and classic Greek. And, um, you know, kind of did because I like ancient history. So you have to know like 10 languages, you know, you eventually I would have to study like German and French too. And, and I got, I graduated and then I didn't, I just kind of, I wavered on it because I, well, one, my, the guy that was really my mentor died and like he suddenly was like 50, suddenly had a heart attack before my senior year and he was gone. And this was a guy who actually wrote the book on, on Latin that we used, you know, he was a really cool guy. But then, you know, and after I got done, I was like, do I really want to go for it? It would have been six more years of school to do that. And then you basically take a job wherever you can get it. It could be Guam. It could be like North Dakota. You know, you don't know because it's, it's such a competitive market. I was like, do I really want to do that? And that's why I started looking at law school is kind of, there's a lot of similarities in terms of like the reading and analysis, you know? Really? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, especially for the school. Like it really helped that law school is a ton of reading. Like 
I, there was a guy that I went to school with who was a physics major in undergrad, and he just he struggled the whole time because they, they don't read. They do math. You know? <laughs> they don't read. Yeah. <laughs> it, so it, it was tough, you know, to keep up as demand. I One of my classes was like like 2,000 pages of reading or something like for a semester. Are you kidding me? Yeah. just So I, I added up one time when I was procrastinating. You know? <laughs> so, it, you know, it's there's it a lot of similarities. And it really depends on what kind of law you end up doing. Like some... Obviously, if you're a litigator and you're in court a lot, there's a lot of other skills that you don't really, it's not related to reading. It's more, you know, advocacy and being quick on your feet and stuff. But as far as the base skills, it transferred over fairly well. So, yeah, it's an interesting twist, though, from a liberal arts education yeah. to a lawyer. I hadn't thought about that before, yeah. but you're right. If you're yeah. doing a bunch of ancient history, mm-hmm. you are doing a ton of reading in different yeah. languages and all sorts of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah, reading it. Now it's just a boring ass law book, right? Yeah, yeah. And it didn't seem as bad if you're, you know, it's, it's easier than translating Latin, you know. Like, so, <laughs> you know it's, all, it's all relative, I guess. I but, guess yeah. it is relative, too. Yeah. yeah. So you want to actually spend the rest of your life translating Latin and mm-hmm. things like that? And Yeah, you know, really in teaching it and doing the research. Like, I had a cool, I was going to do an honors thesis about the uh, about pirates in the Eastern Caribbean during, like, you know, you know, Pompey the Great was around Julius Caesar's time. Yeah. There was a big uh, pirate problem, actually. And Pompey, went out there and basically killed them all and kind of got rid of their their bases so i was going to do an honor thesis on that that kind of that was one of the things that kind of got went by the wayside when when my advisor died and things got kind of crazy but there's other was i mean there's cool stuff there's there's interesting things in almost anything you get into i guess if you i guess (laughs) what was it specifically about your mentor and your advisor dying that made you rethink um, was it just his death or did it finally realize, wait a second, I might actually have to do this forever. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I think it was, he was a big, I wasn't, I'll be honest. I was, I was motivated, but not super motivated to do it. I think it was kind of a thing where it seemed like the best course open to me. And then without his extra push, like, like he was the kind of guy, I had a conflict between, um, one of my Latin and Greek classes, you know, they would overlap. So he just had me skip a semester of Latin to go into the next one so I could take the classes. You know, it was that kind of, I wouldn't have done that on my own. That seemed kind of crazy. But, you know, so he was more of a push, I think. And then without that, I kind of thought about more. And I took a year off in between and that, you know, that makes it harder to want to go back to stuff. Oh, like that, how did you get back to, I know the odds, once you leave school, the odds yeah. of you going back are really yeah. small. But this is, this was after I graduated. Undergrad. Okay. So it was, I was, you know, I had that done at least, which helped, but yeah, it was tough. And, and getting back, I know, well, I'll tell you why I went back to school is because I was, you know, I was looking for a job that an undergrad history major can get, and I ended up marking utilities for like when you call this <laughs> dig, you know, spray painting the gas lines yeah. and stuff. And that was that was awful. I couldn't stand. I didn't like. I was working on supervising a crew of dudes who had just gotten out of jail, and you know, and that they, does not sound fun. <laughs> no, no. They, and some of them were okay, but they weren't the most motivated workers, you know. <laughs> so it was a lot of. It was difficult, it, you know. It wasn't fun. It, I was getting up at four thirty in the morning, driving to Rochester Hills to start the day. It was just it was miserable. So that really helped, you know, motivate me to get back into doing something. There's nothing like a terrible job to push you into your next endeavor. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. So then you decided. Lawyer. Mm-hmm. Why lawyer? Well, I had the Wayne State catalog because I was looking, I was thinking about, initially I was thinking about getting a master's degree in history and then teaching like, you know, like high school or something like that as kind of a, you know, a step back. So at least I could stay local, which I, I've always, I grew up in Livonia. So I, you know, I'm, I'm a local Southeast Michigan guy. I like it here. So I didn't want to leave particularly. 
So I thought about that, and then I started flipping the law section. And I was, that's when I was kind of looking at it. I was like, I could do these classes. I mean, and you read about law degrees, and there's a lot of different options open to you, whether it's in the corporate world or in the you know in different law firms. So I thought, oh, this, this could be something that's worth looking at, and I just did it. I don't know. <laughs> it's a ridiculous amount of money and work, though, to just, yeah. just do it. How do you decide yeah. what to do in law? Did you just yeah. start and figure out along the way, or that was something that troubled me the whole my whole law school career, honestly, because it, it felt like there would be more direction, but and there, and there might be at different schools. I went to Michigan for law school too. I think you said that, but it's like there's no majors or anything there for in the law. Like you just go and there, there's basic classes that are required that everybody takes, but those are the very basic classes. So and after that, you kind of just take stuff and kind of figure out where you want to go. And really what ends up happening is that then you get hired at a law firm and then they train you. And then hopefully you get a big enough law firm so you can try a few different areas of law and see what you like. That's the idea. So what – and that didn't always happen. Like I, when I went to law school, I started in 2000, and then right after that was a dot-com crash. So the, like a lot of things dried up you know, in the meantime before I started getting looking at jobs. So that, that didn't help. But – I got my first job, uh, my first summer, you do a, a 1L internship if you can get one. Those are tough after your first year. I worked at Ford, actually, for in the real estate department. So that's how I kind of started. I, even back then, I was getting into real estate law, which I really liked. It was a... Um, you know, transactional stuff doing, they were selling a lot of properties at the time. So you're working on a lot of deals like that, which was, so that was really cool, but it didn't really give me a broad exposure either. It was kind of really just one thing. What was your job when you're, when you were doing that? Just making sure like it was transaction was legal. Were you doing tax stuff then? Or? Um, that was more strictly real estate. So I would be helping. I did. I helped a lot with preparation of deeds, you know, um, and then research because, uh, you know, obviously Ford has properties everywhere. So we'd have to look at different. Oh, the rule against perpetuities was a big thing for them. Which is what, what is that? Yeah, it's a it's a really it's an old legal concept that's actually mostly gone by the wayside. But the idea was that you didn't want um, people to keep property in the family forever. Like this is from like medieval England. Like they try to keep stuff in their family forever. So there's rules about how long you could keep things in trusts or you know it had to. And I, I won't get into the details because it was hard to understand when I really studied it. So <laughs> even harder now. Yeah, it's even harder now. Yeah. Now they just like Michigan is just like ninety years. Like you have to have. Or they might have actually repealed it now, but it's um. So there's a lot of research in that. So I look at you know if it's in Arizona, I look at what Arizona's rules are on that. Or or Louisiana was a fun one because they have like the um, civil law, like France, you know, because the um there was a lot of French settlement. So it's like based off the Napoleonic Code. That so sounds that was, fun. <laughs> it was so it's it totally different. I thought that was kind of crazy. You know, you get the state that's basically more like Canada than the U.S. in terms of law. Really? Yeah. How does that yeah. work with federal laws too? Yeah. I mean, how do well, they they just supersede or yeah well federal laws in general would supersede yeah so it, it really only is in the state but there's a lot of state law areas that the federal law doesn't touch so it's um yeah so like real estate is one of them that is mostly i mean obviously there's some federal stuff but for the most part it's state law so yeah it was different you know very different that is different yeah, yeah. napoleonic code <laughs> yeah yeah it sounds cool <laughs> part of france some point though i want to get a job reading insurance documents for loopholes so insurance companies could not pay out. Was that your job? That was basically the job, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they're giving you money to see if you can find a way for them not to honor their agreement. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Yeah, I can yeah. see why you... How long did you do that before you got tired of that? I mean, a year, it was probably about a year that it was that I was pretty 
full time into that at the firm because yeah, I started at this firm right out of law school, and you don't have a lot of choice when you start at the firm. <laughs> you know, you, you just kinda, gotta take what you can get. Yeah, 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 what they have. So, and it, even after I started to focus more on tax and business stuff, I still did a lot of that because that it was easy work. You know, I, one of the things I used to do was go to asbestos depositions. You know, those like one eight hundred. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we would we had a client who had made like um like I think it was blast furnaces, and so I would go and have I'd have two questions to ask. So I'd sit there for like four hours and listen to his deposition, then ask two questions, and none of these guys ever worked around him. So it's like that was not. I was like I was like I could use some hours. Let me go on these things. <laughs> you know, so I did that for a while. Actually, that doesn't sound very exciting. No, four hours of deposition. Yeah, it's a sometimes it'd be fun if the if they had some of the plaintiffs attorneys and. They're the ones who advertise, you know, that, that's the plaintiff's ones. Some of them, there was one guy who was like an Irish dude, and he was very combative about everything. So it was, <laughs> that was entertaining. You know, they'd ask like, what, you know, what's your middle name? And he'd start arguing about it, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, and then some of them, it was like they were asleep up there. You know, you could ask almost anything. They're like, I don't care. Everybody got the same pretty much anyway, you know. <laughs> that. So, so what started pushing you or pulling you or attracting you to the business real estate side? Because you said even then you were leaning towards like what? What yeah. about it was it was attraction, right? Yeah, I liked it. I like. I mean, I like. Uh, I liked the real estate job when I was at Ford a lot. Like I, I really liked that, and I started working more with. We had one shareholder. It was a relatively small firm. It was like nineteen attorneys or something like that. So there was one guy who did all the all the business, tax, estate planning, real estate, basically everything that was non litigation. And I, you know, I kind of got into doing some of the work with him. And that's, you know, because I told him I like doing the real estate. So we started, then I started helping on any deal that would come in, like M&A and stuff. And that's kind of when I got into tax, too, because I didn't, as not having a business background, you know, the history background was limited relevance to yeah. you know, M&A. <laughs> so they kind of were like, well, you got to do something to, to uh, give you a, like, a, you know, kind of make you relevant to a transaction. Like, because you know, I had no experience and, you know, I was a one-year attorney and, and no real background. So that's where I started looking at doing the tax part, because that would set me apart. Like, even, you know, every deal has tax components and most attorneys don't like it. Because they they didn't go to a lot of them were English majors and history majors, so they didn't go there to do math, you know. Wait a second. Numbers. So basically, it was the shit work the rest of your firm didn't want to do, and that yeah. was your end. You're like, yeah. if I do I'm this, like, I get to work the real estate. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm like, I'll do it. And and you know, <laughs> but the thing is, is I like that. I mean, I did is even though I dropped out of engineering relatively quickly, I am pretty good at math. Like it's just not like the physics math, you know. I mean, differential equations and stuff gets pretty weird in a previous <laughs> lifetime i was i was in the united states navy and i was part of the nuclear program oh really okay calculus-based physics is hell on earth yeah, yeah worse yeah. only thermodynamics basically yeah. especially yeah. using non-metric anything right right, right? Yeah. very fun yeah, yeah no yeah. it sucks yeah yeah, yeah i get but, it yeah. yeah so yeah i didn't like that but the math part i was like i don't mind that doing that you know and and it and actually, it turns out it's kind of funny how things work because it kind of turns out that doing the tax stuff is more what I pictured a lawyer doing anyway. Like you, because you have to know just a lot of stuff that nobody else knows or understands, and it's and they come to you and then you can give them an answer to their problem that that helps the situation. I mean that because other stuff like I did a couple when I was a solo attorney, I did a couple of divorces, you know, like help people through the divorce, and that's that's barely even law. It's just horse trading, you know. It's, it's, horse trading. It, it's arguing. <laughs> well, you get the house, I get the. You know, there's no every once in a while they'll cite a case, but it's all just arguing and then settling on on things. It's like that's not what I pictured going. On. You know, I went to law school to learn something and apply it, not to just argue with people all day. That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought yeah. about it in that way. Yeah. That one is just basically negotiating 
negotiation Mm -hmm. and the other one's practice and application of law. Yeah. Yeah. Which I know is not as straightforward or as easy as most people think. Right. Right. Yeah. They write the law. Mm -hmm. Then there's interpretation of the law. Did that appeal to you or? Yeah. I mean, I, I like, well, one thing I do like about taxes, there's a little less gray areas than some of the other parts of the law. So there's there's usually an answer, or at least a, a solid basis for an answer. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, some there are a lot of gray areas, I guess, but it's a lot more certain than some of the which that appealed to me more too. I didn't like because a lot of law school is just like, well, what of this and what of that, and that that would drive me nuts sometimes because <laughs> the hypotheticals are ridiculous. You know, I mean, that's completely that's not going to happen. You know, <laughs> like so why are we wasting time arguing about these things that are just crazy? So the tax stuff's a little more concrete, which I like and. Especially if you're doing returns, then you got to come to a number one way or another. So that's, yeah, I do like that. How long did it take you to drift into real estate taxes before mm-hmm. you were just like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. That's it. This is the Tim Harden I always wanted to be. Right. How long? It's, I mean, it's been a developing thing ever since then, honestly. Like, because I mean, I would have totally switched into it at that firm at the beginning, but they didn't have the work. Mm-hmm. You know, I still had to pick up a lot of other stuff. I did some corporate bankruptcy stuff too. Like, you know, whatever had the overflow work was. And I switched firms in 2007. And that's when I went into a, more of a business practice group at a bigger firm. So that's when I was first totally in transactional work, you know, which I liked it, whether it's, you know, I, now I'm almost uh, exclusively taxed. Back then I would do a lot of M&A stuff too, which has tax, but there's also a lot of drafting. What is uh, M&A? Mergers and acquisitions. Mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, Thank like you. selling right. a business, buying one, you know, yeah. th- that's more of it. There's not ton of mergers at a lower level. It's usually buying and selling businesses that you get involved in, which I still do some of, but you know, much more from the tax end of things. So it's really been, you know, and then I had my solo firm for a while, uh, you know, probably like a year or two. And then I got working with this, um, this other attorney who's a really cool guy. He's been practicing for like over 50 years. He's a, you know, and he's still going strong. Yeah. You know? He's, and, um, he's got the, he, you know, he can remember tax court cases from the sixties, you know, he, he just, wow. yeah, he knows that like everything. And he's, he's, well, you know, well-respected tax attorney. So that's when I really was able to, you know, it was a really good mentor to have a guy I could learn a lot from. And, um, yeah, and also a good person, personality. That's one thing you find with law firms is it's hard to find one where the people are kind of easy to get along with, you know? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I bet you get a lot of type A's and a lot of demanding, yeah, domineering people, very, right? Yeah. 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 Perfectionist, you know, is it like the TV shows where they yell around all day and walk around and insult each other and scheme, or is that just some bullshit on TV? Well, most of the TV stuff's you know, bullshit, <laughs> but I mean, there is some, there is some truth to the personalities, I suppose. I mean, you'd, like, uh, there's a lot of firms with a lot of yellers, you know, who will just berate people over almost nothing, you know, and those, those are not, that I, sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's just their, their personalities are, I mean, I had one guy at my first firm and I was on the way out and I, you know, I was, I think I'd already accepted the job. I was kind of like, I hadn't told them yet. <laughs> and, and he's like, he's yelling at me and another associate. Cause we, we were billing for a municipality and we build like, we'd bill a 0.5 hours over three days. He didn't, he's like, don't do that. Bill all one and a half in one day and he's going nuts about the why, why? you know yeah. stuff like that where the you know it'll go off on you for probably for some other unrelated reason he just was venting you know 
there's a lot of emotional immaturity for some of these Kick guys. the new guy, basically. Yeah, you, know, you yeah, can get like, away with it. Yeah, you can. You know, if you're a partner, that's the thing. If you're a partner at a, a lot of law firms, you can get away with a lot, you know, and because you have business and they they want the money coming in the door. So it's because that's the name of the game. You know? Well, absolutely. You bring the, that's how you become a partner, right? Exactly. You bring a certain X. There's some yeah. special number yeah. that you're now so valuable. You get to be a partner in it, exactly. right? Yeah. So you kind of glossed over it, but you went out on your own for mm-hmm. a little while before. Before yeah. you got sucked back in, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, well, it wasn't entirely my choice because that was when the um uh the that last real estate bus came. Whenever, yeah, you know, I remember the, it clearly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um and so yeah, I got oh nine, you know, oh eight, oh nine, and in that our our um the business practice group in that second firm I was at laid off all the associates. So it was like, all right, <laughs> I'm out the Guess door. Guess I'm done. <laughs> yeah, and the, which was actually I was kind of I I took it as an opportunity because I I didn't I learned a lot there. I was glad I went because I I did I had a chance to get a lot more experience than I would have at the other firm. But that was one where I wasn't I didn't fit in with the personalities that well, and I don't know what anybody really did. I mean, it was a it was an interesting firm the way it worked. So plus it was in Troy and I was living in Canton, so I wasn't like that's a drive. It. Yeah, yeah. It was every day too. Every day, yeah. Then they work you. They do work you around the clock right when you're a first fresh new lawyer right yeah i mean yeah it's long hours i guess which helps with traffic but you know if you're there a lot but uh so i was kind of glad to get out of there for sure i was i was ready to be done and and i just wanted to take the chance to really focus cuz i knew that you had to build business to get be a partner anywhere you know and that was something that they don't, they don't, they, they don't teach you that in law school, like the whole marketing. Yeah, why don't they teach you the business side of anything? Yeah, they, there's really nothing. Here's how you do it. Good luck. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're like, read a bunch of cases and write essays and then you'll, you'll learn, you know. So that was, I, t- I wanted to have an opportunity to really focus on that. And that's, that's a good way to do it if you got to support yourself is, you know, being out on your own trying to get business in. So I, it was really good. I, and end up, I kind of ended up slowly just transitioning out because I started working more with that, that other attorney i was telling you about so yeah. you know it was like probably a year totally on my own and then i kind of slowly worked in with him i'd start i started working like five to ten hours a week just on overflow stuff and he ended up having a lot of good cases come in and it was fun i mean he had cool stuff like I, yeah i can't can't talk about half of it but there was like yeah, don't get in trouble yeah, well, what constitutes cool stuff in the tax world well like a some of us are skeptical celebrity clients ah, in, you okay. know getting audited like we, there was one that's very well known in this area who came very close to a criminal prosecution Woo. like he really should have honestly i i mean i don't know if and i didn't i never met with him because i wasn't on on the a the team i guess he had two firms going it was that kind of thing but that's some serious shit we need yeah. to hire two <laughs> yeah it was yeah you're gonna yeah. keep me out of jail yeah. and i'm gonna give you as much of this money as it takes yeah that's basically what i'm on it too and one it actually worked out well for us because the other firm was a, a large detroit firm that had ridiculous billing rates so our bills look great it's better than them so but he it was it was questionable it was very questionable and i we neither one neither my boss or i know why they didn't refer it to because what they do if it's in an audit they'll sometimes they'll look at the situation and refer it to criminal that's how they do it um usually it's not just straight criminal it's like the audit and then the, the criminal side they didn't do it, and then he got off actually pretty. He had, I mean, he owed a couple million taxes, but he wrote that check without. I was about good. It. That's an easy check to write <laughs> yeah. at that point, right? Yeah, you yeah. didn't want to write it before, but when they're like, um, like actually, I have no problem with that. Yeah, what was the penalty? I'm yeah. okay with that yeah, too. Yeah. Don't they just mostly want the money anyway when they're there to shake you down, or do they actually want to mess a few people up too? Well, 
kind of like Wesley Snipes. I kind of yeah. felt like that guy got it in the teeth pretty yeah, good. Yeah. Right? Well, I think he just didn't file for a number of years. Yeah, he really but, bought into that no income tax bullshit. Yeah. He went full retard on that. Don't do that, folks. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't do believe that. everything you see on YouTube. You yeah. actually have to pay income yeah, tax. Yeah, you do have to pay. Yeah, was it? yeah, yeah. Don't argue about the validity of the. Yeah, it's like it's not constitutional. Yeah. I'm like these yeah. guys with guns. They really differ on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you're gonna lose. <laughs> you know, and that he, one. he didn't. I think he like ten million dollars or something like, yeah, and they threw his ass in jail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't yeah. don't mess around your taxes, folks. That's yeah. why I have them here. We're getting to the questions, but yeah. this yeah, is serious exactly. business. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but the cases like that are fun, and he, you know, he's the kind of guy he's been around so long that he gets stuff like that. You know, so. That was kind of cool. Um, yeah, but anyway, I ended up working more and more with him. Just kind of, I ended up for a while. I I kind of ran my firm out of his office still, like, and then it kind of really totally got. Um, I totally closed the doors on that part when I switched firms here to Barry Mormon in uh, like fifteen, end of two thousand fifteen. So, but it's good. It was a good run. Yeah. How? <laughs> yeah. What was it like doing business on your own for a year and having to generate business and do law and do everything else? It was kind of crazy. It was, I mean, it was, it was, it was kind of, it was an adventure. I mean, it was fun in some ways because that was the first time as a lawyer where I didn't have a boss, you know, I was out, I was doing everything. So that was cool. But you know, then they're also trying to pay for everything and bring in the cases and get the people to pay and then do all the admin stuff yourself. And yeah, it was it was a lot of work. You I didn't have an assistant. No, I didn't have an assistant. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of get by just because you know everything could be done electronically, and but it's tough. And I mean, fortunately, that it's not like I was in litigation where I was cranking out these huge briefs where you need like typing and stuff, you know. So I got, I mean, I got by. It was it was interesting. It was, but it was a good experience. I mean, I really, I don't, I wouldn't be where I am now as far as being able to go out and get business. And it really forced me to kind of get out of the office and do stuff instead. Of, How does an attorney get business? I'm just curious. Is it is it that different from real estate? Or do you door knock? Or you cold call? What'd you do? Well, you're you're not actually you're not allowed to cold call as an attorney. What? Yeah, you can't. At least not prospective clients. That's like as an ethical rule. Yeah. But I actually can explain that one to me. I mean, I don't really have an explanation. It's just there's well, the legal profession. Can you have your assistant who's not an attorney call to get business for you? Is that the loophole? (laughs) No, 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 you can't. No, they would get you on that too. Damn. No, they used to. I mean, for not that long ago, attorneys weren't even allowed to advertise. Like it, it was probably either sixties or seventies they changed that, and there there used to be like fee schedules that you had to adhere to by on a state by state basis. What? Yeah, it was much more. It was a different profession in the you know the first half of this like the twentieth century. That's like a like, socialist utopia right there. Yeah, well, it worked out well for the attorneys, you know, because <laughs> no one was undercutting them. But oh, yeah, I see. You know, it was like a little bit of a mob slash uh, yeah, like union thing. Where yeah, you fix yeah. your prices. And... Yeah, it can't, yeah. I mean, it's price fix. Bobby, I don't think you low, should be charging it? so little if you. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can get in trouble for that back then. So I mean, so that that is a holdover because it's. I think what they figure is it's not professional. Like they're they're trying to. I mean, well, Laura's reputations are bad enough anyway. I guess they figure if you're calling people in the hospital, you know, it'll look even worse. So. <sighs> what I guess it go door knock in the hospital. Well, how do you yeah. create business then? Yeah. You no know, cold calling. Yeah, no. The one thing that I do that is is cold calling is I cold call to get to do is talks. Like I do a lot of talks at real estate agent offices, like this one. Although I haven't been here, but I've been a couple different Keller Williams offices, and so I'll, I'll call the offices there to say, hey, you know, you want to? I could come in and do a talk for your agents and. So that is kind of that is cold calling. It's not, but it's not directly to the client. I so, see. Yeah. So that's a nice little sidestep. Yeah, there. yeah. Hey, that's a value add. Yeah, it, it is. is. 
I mean, because I'm not, I, you know, and I definitely present my services at the end, but it is a very informative seminar. I mean, I'm not like a, you know, it's not a sales pitch for an hour. You know, I give I give good information, and sometimes, although sometimes people take it and do things they shouldn't do, and then they come you back. Can't to help me them like, for that. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I set up this corporation. I don't think I did it right. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. <laughs> you you came it. to the right place. So, no, I love that. Yeah. So. You go and you you would set up little seminars where mm-hmm. you can help people, mm-hmm. and then you do a small pitch at the end. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Well, I don't yeah. mind pitches anyway. I'm a sales guy, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, I know. This like, world lives on people selling things, you right? Know? Yeah. Services, goods, all that stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I think as long as you give good content when you're there, they don't. Everyone expects a little bit of a pitch because you're you're not there for fun. I mean, you know. well, you're in a real estate office too. Yeah. Come on, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. This, everybody's concerned about sales. If they don't like yeah. the sales at the end, I think they don't like themselves. You know? <laughs> right. That's well, yeah. That's a good might point. learn learn something from the pitch. So you went and did a bunch of uh, basically a little mini seminar for mm-hmm. people for free to build yeah. business yeah 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 and that's really been what i've that i mean i've been doing that for a few years now you know because before that it was a lot of networking and you know like going to like a bni group or stuff like that which yeah i mean i, I would get stuff but be inconsistent and it just seemed like a lot of time for what i got out of it but yeah the seminar thing really is good i've been i've gotten a lot you know a lot of people call yeah, and then I like I did that one with um with Dylan over at that at their group. And that, that was, was a good one. Yeah, that, yeah. For those who might recognize him, he was actually he came in briefly, spoke about about forty five minutes, maybe yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, yeah it was good. Uh, you can go back into the podcast; it's under the Borland um, group. It was on the second or third one we did, and it was pretty informative. It was good. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. That's why when you yeah. reached out, I'm like, okay, this guy knows his shit. Yeah, you know, I like, was trying, and that was like you know he told me I only had twenty minutes, so I was trying to really condense it, and it ended up being way over that, but. Usually I talk for more like an hour, sometimes an hour and a half if there's a lot of questions because there's there's a lot of stuff that people don't know about, you know, small because I work primarily with small business owners like one. And by that, I mean, like it's usually one or two people own the business. They don't have employees. They're basically, you know, self-employed, whether they have their own entity or they're, you know, 1099. So that's kind of my focus. And, and there's a lot of stuff, especially, you know, realtors is, I talk to a lot because they don't really do any planning no most of them. and it's just and, and that's basically means you're paying the max tax rate possible that's what it comes down to so if, if you can yeah we do, don't like that yeah and if you can do some basic steps to kind of reorganize how you're doing business without really changing the business that you're doing i mean why not that's the way i look at it so. that's gonna be a question i circle back now that i'm on the the agent side of things so basically the, one of the only reasons why you stopped your own business was you found this other cool mentor mm-hmm. who had a r- lot of really cool, interesting business who needed your help, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. And it, just yeah. kind of sucked you up. And then yeah. how'd you, how'd you end up at Barry Mormon? Barry Mormon. Yeah. Well, that, they kind of sucked me up too. I got, I got a call, <laughs> well, I got a call from a recruiter and you know, and she's like, well, this firm wants to talk to you because there's not a lot of tax attorneys around. That was one. Really? Fortuit- yeah. It was a, it was a fortuitous event. <laughs> like that. I didn't know that at the time when I started to get into it, but I, like I said, a lot of lawyers don't like the numbers, you know, because I do tax stuff for other lawyers a lot of times because they just don't, they don't want to do anything. Just hired out to you? Yeah. Subcontracted? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're afraid of it or, you know, so, so I'll handle it. So yeah, I got this call from his recruiter and originally I didn't, I actually turned him down. I, I set up an interview and canceled it because <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't really want to drive to Birmingham. Like it's like, uh, and then, 
you know, so she called back and she's like, you know, they still want to talk to you. Would you just have lunch with the president? You know, and I was like, well, all right, you know, fine, it's, I'll it's, have lunch with the president. Yeah. Is he buying? Yeah. <laughs> it was a, it was, and because it, it is a good, it's a really good firm. I mean, it's been around like ninety years. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's that's a good firm. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, for a law firm, that's like you know a couple hundred years. You know, that's a really long time. And it, it's kind of cool. They originally started off as the attorneys for the Dodge brothers when they split off from Ford. There was like a, a big tax litigation, and that's how Barry Mormon started. Was back then they were a tax firm originally. So I was like, well, if I'm thinking about a tax firm, this is there's really not a lot of tax firms either. You know that where the attorneys do the tax returns and stuff. So I was like, well, I, I better talk to him. You know, and then my wife was like, yeah, just I'll talk to him and see. And then yeah, they kind of sucked me in. It was just too. They good. made you an offer you couldn't refuse. It was yeah, yeah. it was it was too good to to pass up. I mean, it, you know, because it, it was a you know a salary and like um, it was really good. That was an odd noise. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell that was. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a really good place to work. Plus, there's a couple of other tax attorneys there um, who are probably going to retire at some point relatively soon, which is nice for me. You know, they can mm. bequeath. Well, a little book of business <laughs> yeah. gets passed along, yeah, right? Yeah, so... Yeah, and it's cool. And then we ended up moving, so that solved that the driving problem. Just moved. Uh, did you move to Birmingham? We no, no, <laughs> we didn't move to Birmingham. We would be in like a box with a, those property insane. Yeah. They are crazy. Yeah, I looked to see because I was curious. Like, like nope, no, no, we're not. No, no, Farmington Hills. We moved up there, like yeah. kind of north Farmington. So it's pretty. You know, pretty. I just drive across Maple. It's. It's nice. It's much yeah. More that's not too bad. No. And you like working over there. You like all the tax stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A cool for. And you know the funny thing about it is I started because um, when I, the guy I was working with before he was always bringing people through to look at renting space because he had he had brought me in when his partner retired and but he really had too much space. He had this big suite in the town center in Southfield that was you know not full. So he was always trying to rent out stuff. So when I was leaving, I was like. You should talk to them. They got some extra space, you know, over at Barry Mormon and see, you know, maybe you could work something out. A year later, he ended up moving in there. He's down the hall. You know, he's still, it's still a separate firm, but he's, yeah, he's renting space at the end of the hall. So that's cool. That's all together. Yeah. So it's cool. It's, it's nice. Yeah. Cause he's a, he's a great guy. So it's cool to have him around again. But that's kind of funny. So walk me through small business we're gonna go like we're just gonna go with like your regular real estate investor flipper mm-hmm. and i got a bunch of questions but i want to go through a few like general scenarios okay that i think probably like mom and pop sole proprietor mm-hmm. maybe they've done less than five flips okay right mm-hmm. and there's so much bad advice out there mm-hmm. on youtube on the internet and of course all the gurus yeah yeah and all the money you can save with your i think I'm going to have to ask you about the Nevada corporations and the Massachusetts, you know, like mm. there's like people are looking for some secret sauce or like right. we found a crack. We never have to pay taxes again or right. we can't be liable yeah. ever. And we're protected by 5,000 years of maritime or whatever bullshit. There's, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Right. You've heard all these silly things. Yeah, I've heard a lot of crazy stuff. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed to admit I have fallen for some of the stuff, but yeah, I rectified it. Right. Yeah. It gets, it gets the best of us. <laughs> Uh, what would you recommend for somebody flipping? We'll say in Southeast Michigan. Mm-hmm. So most flips in Southeast Michigan are two fifty or less for mm-hmm. people listening. So that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars or less. It's not California, right? Where it's a million dollars for a postage stamp, right. and they flip a few properties a year, and mm-hmm. they have a day job. They mm-hmm. both have day jobs. Okay. How would you recommend uh, for this imaginary couple? Mm-hmm. 
And by the way, legal disclaimer at the beginning, remember that. Although he has license, you can call him up and give him money, and then it, you won't you won't need a disclaimer. Right. But yeah. uh, how, how would you recommend setting somebody up who wanted to flip, mm-hmm. who didn't own rental property, own their own primary residence, but had mm-hmm. square jobs as mm-hmm. well? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the jobs part probably doesn't have too much of an impact on things, other than it increases your adjusted gross income, so you're going to pay a higher tax rate overall. But now, uh, what would you think the like per flip, return is 20 grand 20 grand so yeah. it's like 100 grand yeah so yeah well the biggest thing i think for real estate investors to realize is there's a difference between passive income and active income you know like at passive is like your rental income so that's and that's actually pretty good tax way tax wise you know at rental income it doesn't have any self-employment tax or anything like that associated with it so that's you know that's kind of a different thing you're then you're in that case you're looking more at like legal liability protection is your main thing rather than tax planning Oh, there's, there's some stuff to there, but, but the, the, the flipping and actually wholesaling falls in this category too. Interesting. It, it's, okay. It's active income. So that means you, you know, you pay income tax obviously on your, on your profits, but then you also have self-employment tax and that's what really gets people. That's 15.3% of the, of the profit on top of your income tax. So what I, what generally I recommend is having people form an S corporation to run their, you know, the, both the flipping and the wholesaling through. You could combine them or have them separate if you did both. Like I've seen both scenarios. And what that does is because, you know, on that hundred thousand dollars, you know, 15.3% is what, like 15 grand or something like that. So that's a, you know, it's an extra 15 grand in taxes you're paying. What you can do is you can set up an S corporation. This is a Michigan S corporation. You don't have to do like crazy out of state things. But I heard if you said it, no, I'll get to that later. (laughs) And then what you do is you, um, there, when you set up an S corporation and you're an owner, you have a, you have a requirement to pay yourself a reasonable salary. So, and that, that's one of those, the things that actually kind of is a gray area. There's a lot of tax court cases about what, what is a reasonable salary. Um, it's not zero, you know, you, you do have to wait, pay that's not reasonable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, but it's also not definitely not a hundred percent of the profits. Cause there's been plenty of cases like, uh, remember John Edwards ran with, um, John Kerry. Yeah. 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 yeah he was a very successful plaintiff's attorney prior to running. Or prior to politics, I don't know. He probably still is now, but and he, knocking up his side bitch too. But by the way, I don't recommend. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I'm. He set up his legal affairs well, but the personal affairs probably not as <laughs> screwed much. it all yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. But he actually had a tax court case that he won where he saved himself a, a bundle by paying himself a salary that was less than the profits. A lot of times you look at it like around half, you know, as a, kind of a rule of thumb. So say in this situation, you pay yourself a fifty thousand dollars salary for the year. You pay, you still pay, um, the 15.3%, although now it's payroll taxes, it's employment taxes because you're working for your company. But on the other 50,000 that you don't pay a salary, you don't have any requirement to pay any self-employment or employment taxes. So you can basically cut that 15 grand in half. So that's a, that's the first step, you know, I would take. There's other things you can do, but that's the one that we're, that applies to everybody. If you, if you're going to have a profit from flipping or wholesaling, that's more than probably like 30 or 40 grand. That's you should be looking at that. That's interesting. Now, yeah. some people would say, but they're reporting and guidelines and, it, and it's difficult to maintain. Mm hmm. An S corporation because they're worried about lawsuits and what, what do they call it? Uh, piercing the veil. Oh, Sorry. Right. Yeah. Veil. Sorry. It's been yeah. a while since I've thought about this stuff. Yeah, so I yeah. may stumble yeah. through it a little bit, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They're worried about piercing right. the, the, the veil. Mm-hmm. And that's why a lot of investors go with limited liability corporations over mm-hmm. 
S corporations. Uh, right. What are the reporting requirements or right. the differences? And do you think it's something worth worrying about? Or well, I mean, it is true. LLCs have fewer annual requirements. Basically, you set the thing up and then let it go. You don't really have to do anything. S corporations, it's a little bit more like a, the really the main difference is you're you're supposed to have annual minutes every year, like a meeting of the board. You know, but you can do like a consent resolution too. It's basically a piece of paper that sign you sign saying you. You, you approve of the actions of the corporation for the year. And there is more setup in an S corporation or any corporation, really. You have, you have articles and bylaws, and then you have to file something with the IRS. So it, there is more. And I guess it, you know, piercing the corporate veil is that's one, it's an area where there's a lot of cases about it and a lot of different factors that go into it. So it's hard, that's, it's hard to say for sure. It's a legitimate concern. I mean, cause one of the big things that people um, don't do that, really messes them up anyway is they don't segregate their bank accounts yeah commingling yeah. funds yeah, right commingling, that's a huge one yeah because the one of the other um theories is alter ego which is, is very similar to piercing the corporate veil but it's basically like saying your your company is an alter ego for yourself it's not a separate entity that you're treating uh yeah that you're respecting so I mean, it is a concern. I probably wouldn't do an S corporation on my own because I that's one area I've seen where people take it from my talk and then go and do it and then not do. Yeah, you know, they don't hear everything I say. You know, hire so, a professional yeah, for that. Right? I, I would, but it's but you save so much in tax that it's worth hiring somebody. You know, and again, you gotta you probably want to be selective. Like I have a good tax coaching program that that is is very reasonable to help you maintain it. Other people may not like. I know if you just went to an attorney right off the street, they might charge you twenty five hundred bucks to set up an S corporation, which I wouldn't do for that in that scenario. Especially not if if I'm a choice, <laughs> yeah, because I won't. I don't charge. I charge differently than a typical transactional attorney. But they also do that because they figure they're going to do that and never see you again. So they want to get their money. Get one and done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas I work with you on an ongoing basis to do the returns as well as keep the corporation active. Ah, I see. So you're trying to get that long tail business, right? right? right. Lifetime business, not one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, I like like that model better anyway because I like to have an ongoing relationship. Because then you understand what's going on more. You can give better advice if you've known someone longer and you know what they're doing. And and then the the big component is the with the S corporation though is the payroll tax returns because if you're paying a salary that's more than just you know giving fifty grand to yourself you actually have to do quarterly payroll tax returns which is again it's 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 a requirement it's you know it's another requirement and that does dissuade some people they're like I don't want to do it you know it's not it's too much what's, effort what's the cost to do that though because we're talking about saving money right now right, right. so in yeah, our previous right. scenario we're gonna pay right. 15 plus grand in taxes right. and now we're going to we're cutting it in half just by doing an S corp right. right yeah yeah so you figure you're saving 7500 bucks you can do it for around 4 to 500 bucks a year for the payroll tax returns um that's not see that doesn't yeah. seem bad yeah so is that almost outsourced or you, what what part do you actually have to do do that part i i usually recommend people go with ADP on that one like i i know somebody at ADP who's really a good salesperson who's very responsive and stuff and get it set up and with with this kind of thing it's not like a like a job where you have to take a biweekly pay paycheck or something it's really you can just talk to adp like once a quarter and say hey i'm paying myself like 10 grand or whatever it is and then they'll do the calculation they'll pull the money from your account file the returns and pay it and it's usually it's about 100 bucks i think there's a couple other fees so that's pretty automated yeah so that as an objection that's not a good objection because you just 
And what is ADP? I just uh, I don't know if you want to plug them or not. But I just don't know what it is. Pay, they're one of the bigger payroll companies. I forget what it stands. I think automatic data processing. Or is something that like is there a dot com or something? Or what yeah, is ADP dot com is the thing. I mean, okay. if, if I mean, if you're interested in doing that, I can. If they give you give me a call or yeah. email, I'll give you the person to talk to because ADP is enormous. So you don't want to just be calling up their eight one eight hundred number. No. Okay. So. T. Harden at Barry Mormon, M-O-O-R-M-A-N. He'll get you hooked up dot com on that one. So $100 to $200 every time you call and they pay you out. So that you're right. That's that's pretty cheap. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, yeah. So, so now we're still at $7,000 at most saving a year. Mm-hmm. What, what else do we got? Well, then, like, say if, if you hire me, like, I'll char- I charge 75 bucks a month for the tax coaching for S-corporations. And that includes doing the returns, because you'll have a personal return and a corporate return at that point. You do have a, the That's genius. Return. It's like a s- subscription model yeah. for your own tax mercenary, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. They can hire a tax mercenary for 75 <laughs> right. bucks a month, right? Right. right. For and an S-corp anyway. Right. For, for the S-corp client. And that, that includes setting it up. So I'll set the S-corporation up for you. And then, you know, helping you with the, the various tax issues that come up, like making sure you're paying yourself right. And if you get weird questions that pop up, I'll help with that, you know. I try to, it's kind of all inclusive. So it's still less than a thousand. So now we're down to still, we, we save $6,000, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And as before, you've done anything else. Right, exactly. Yeah, and there's usually other stuff that I find that people are missing on their returns. Well, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, well, I don't know shit about this. What about liability concerns? Because the next question is going to be, from an asset protection point of view, sure, I'm saving now $6,000. It's mm-hmm. relatively automated, mm-hmm. right? I, I don't have to do my payroll. I could do it quarterly. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to do. I can, call, right. I can even call a company to do it, right. and I've saved the $6,000, but... Am I any less protected than I was before as a sole proprietor or maybe a uh, limited liability company? Well, you're definitely more protected than a sole proprietor because as a sole proprietor, you have no protection, really. Um, as an LLC, it's, it's really there's no difference. Yeah, I, I don't know where that comes from, people, the, the, the distinction. I mean, yeah, I guess if you do a badass corporation, it might be worse than an LLC. But in general, I think from a lawyer's perspective, corporations are more respected than LLCs because anybody can set up an LLC. It's really easy to do. It doesn't really mean you have any business intent or, you know, it's kind of like, cause it's a form you send into the state and that's all it is. And you know, if you do that and you don't even have your own bank account and it's like, what, that's, that's nothing, you know? So I don't know, from an attorney's point of view, an S corporation is at least, you know, as, as effective. I mean, LLCs came around to give you the same protection from liability as a corporation. That's what they were started to do, but to make it easier for people who, who didn't need all the, the stuff that came from having a corporation, you know, wanted to kind of do it themselves. Maybe they didn't have as, you know, just make it easier for people to do on their own. Basically, that's kind of where LLCs got popular. It so basically, from- that's the only benefit is it's easier to do an LLC on your own instead yeah. of yeah. hiring an attorney to to do it for you for yeah. an S corporation. Yeah, yeah, and there's okay. actually there's other downsides too because if if you have another. Well, for one, a single member LLC where you're the only owner, it's taxed no differently than if you didn't have it. So yeah, it's just passed through, right? Yeah, so you're yeah. still going to eat the 15% self-employment yeah. tax, yeah. And whatever your gross, whatever, what do you call it? Your gross adjusted, whatever. I can't remember all the terms. Which part you know? Your income is. Your, oh, your, well, your gross receipts and the there, minus yeah, your expenses. There you go. Yeah. So you're yeah. still going to eat all that. So basically yeah. it's just 
liability protection, right? Right, right. And then the other thing is if you have more than one person in there, you're actually, now you're a partnership for tax purposes. And partnerships have their own set of crazy rules that even a lot of tax lawyers don't always entirely understand. Walk me through that because now you caught me unawares here. I think it shows you how little attention I've paid to it, embarrassingly. So. Yeah, so because that was always something told to me, you don't want to be a, a single member LLC. Go get a partner, even if they have one percent. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. So what? What does that throw in having a partner in an LLC? Well, like I, I mean, you now you have a second tax return you're filing. There's a separate tax return in 1065, and just in general, the rules are are pretty crazy for partnerships. There's a lot of like basic allocation rules that you have to respect. Like if you had a one percent partner. I mean, if it would, it would work well if you're doing like 99% of the profits to you, 1% of them. But then what if you're doing special allocations and like, it, it's just much more complicated than I think people realize when you get into that, you know? And then there's like, you know, partnership has, there's inside basis and outside basis. I mean, I don't want to get too into the details of things, but basically it it's a lot more complicated than you realize. And there's really no, um, I don't know, what, what were they saying would be the benefit of adding a partner like that? Uh, the, when you add a partner, you're not as exposed, um, to liability as much as what I, as what I've been told. That wouldn't really affect anything. It's really how you run the business. That's, that's what they look at. If you run as a separate entity, um, they look at, you know, separate bank accounts, capitalization. It can't be like undercapitalized all the time. I mean, that's really more in an operating business, I guess, than like a rental situation. But, um, you know, and then, you know, respecting the corporate form, that kind of thing. That's what they look at that the, uh, one partner to, you know, two really wouldn't matter. I don't think in general. All right. So if you had your typical investor, 250,000 less a year, mm-hmm. and all they do is flip or wholesale, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Would real estate agent fall into this category too? Would you say yeah. a real estate agent should set up an S core? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So yeah. either a real estate agent, a wholesaler or a flipper mm-hmm. should, Consider setting up an S-Corp and looking at that just mm-hmm. for uh, saving some money on taxes and not yeah. having to take it all exactly yeah. as income, right? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. that's self-employment income. Okay, okay. so that's yeah. interesting. So how do you spend that extra 50 grand on the shit you want to buy, right? Mm-hmm. So you save, you get the 100 grand, in our example, uh-huh. 100,000 in profit, right? and we just, you know, we're going to claim 50 and the rest. What do we, how do we spend the rest of that 50 or, or how do we... Right. How do we get access to that? Right. Legally. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that all a hundred percent of the of the profit. So if it's a hundred thousand dollar profit, it's it's all gonna be taxed at income tax level. So you're gonna pay income tax on the whole amount. I mean you would in the other situ- situation too. So really you can just transfer it to yourself at any time. Because the way that the like an S corporation or actually really an LLC, single member LLC is taxed, it's the end they look at the end of the year. You know, you take all your your income for the year, subtract the expenses, there's a profit. That's what you pay the tax base off of. So it's less on like how to get the money to yourself. You know, it's how much you're paying the taxes on. Okay. So you can just spend it however you want to spend it. Cause you, okay. What if you want to carry it over and invest it in more real estate? Is that a problem or? Well, I mean, you're still paying the tax. You're going to pay the income tax on it for the year for an S corporation. If you wanted to keep money in a corporation longer, you'd really have to do like a C corporation. Which has its own issues because that pays tax. You know, one of the benefits of the S corporation I, I specifically mentioned is that an S corporation doesn't pay any income tax on its profits. It all flows through to the owner. Okay. You know, so whereas like a C corporation files, you know, S corporation files its return, pays no income tax. A C corporation files a return, but it pays income tax, which is up to thirty five percent of the profits. Although it is graded slightly, so you know it's not all at thirty five percent. So, so that S core, if you were, so you take the money out, 
if you were to invest it in another real estate project, is there any tax penalty for doing that in an S-Corp or are you, or no. you fine? No, you're fine. Okay. You're just, yeah, you can still use the money. Yeah, for sure. It's just like some people think if they leave it in there, I don't have to pay the income tax on that part for the year. No, no you got to pay the income. Yeah, you're, you're not getting, you're not avoiding the income tax. Right, right. right. Okay. Yeah, no, but you can reuse the money and reinvest it and do whatever. Will there be any benefit to somebody in the, the hypothetical situation we're talking about, a flipper, a wholesaler, a real estate agent setting up a C-Corp? Like what? What would be, if any, benefit? Because there, there are the gurus, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is even before we get to the Nevada or Massachusetts corporations, right. where right. they tell you to do this because of X, Y, and Z. I think I was told medical costs or some mm-hmm. shit like that. Well, there is um, there is a, a one strategy you can do with a C corporation where you um, because with the C corporation you can be your own employee for employee benefit purposes, whereas you can't with an S corporation. Which is really kind of strange. You can you can be an employee for of an S corporation for payroll, so you can do the payroll tax thing like I talked about, but not for employee benefits, which is kind of odd. But and what would be a, employee benefits? Well, that's the one that I was getting at. There's, it's called a, a MERP, a medical expense reimbursement plan. And what that is is that that's a plan that reimburses the employee for all their medical expenses. So and it's under a specific section of the code in that the employee doesn't uh, have any income for that because it's reimbursing their expenses and it's a deduction for the corporation. So th- that can be useful, but it's generally not like I do. There are situations where I'll use a C corporation, but it's typically not for the main operating business. Usually what I would recommend, especially like say a real estate agent, here's another hypothetical real estate agent. They want to do an S corporation because that's going to save a lot in the self-employment tax. They also have a couple of rental properties. What you can do is set up a C corporation to be the property manager for those properties, you know, because you're doing property management yourself at that point. Oh, I see where you're going with that. And then hire yourself to work for the C corporation. Then you can have a MERP there. So if you have like $5,000 out of pocket for the year, because that's what the MERP hits is out of pocket stuff. Then that can reimburse you for that. And it's essentially deducted off of your rental incomes at that point because you're paying the property manager. So no, no really good reason then for the C Corp. That's just some no, shit no. to sell C corporations, basically. Yeah, I mean, there C corporations used to be a lot more popular, like especially for like <clears throat> like professional practices, like doctors and dentists and stuff. <clears throat> and the strategy there would be you would you would pay out all this all the income as salary. So then you wouldn't have any corporate tax going. I see. <clears throat> but the problem is, is you're paying the, the employment tax on yeah. all that. So it's, I don't, it's, that's, they used to do a lot of that. You don't see a lot of it anymore. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I don't, I don't see a lot of benefit. Yeah. It sounds like some BS. All right. So let's move on to another hypo- hypothetical situation. What if somebody just wanted rentals, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they got a square job yeah. and they buy a rental a year mm-hmm. and their plan is they have 10 and their plan is to do one a year for another. So basically they want 20 by the end, okay. uh, but they have regular job, regular income, mm-hmm. right? They're happy with their job. Mm-hmm. They just want a bunch of rentals for insurance and passive. Maybe they're planning on paying kids education, all that for this hypothetical scenario for this mm-hmm. real estate investor person. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you recommend? On that one, you're really more concerned about liability. I mean, that's going to be your first concern because you don't want to get 
you know, have something happen while the house doesn't get sued and lose all your houses. So what I would recommend is LLCs for each house, ideally, although you always get, I got a lot of blowback about that. (laughs) Good. Yeah. Controversy. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but that's the ideal situation because when you get that way, if that LLC is own, it owns a house and that you, you know, something happens in that house, they sue, they sue the LLC whose only asset is that house. So they're limited on what they can get. They can't get a whole bunch of other houses that had nothing to do with that situation. So that, I mean, that would be ideal. And you can, I mean, there's different ways to do things now with, you know, with the way banks will link up accounts and stuff, you could have like one, um, you could have an LLC over them that collected all the rent. And then like, say if, if there was a repair on a sub LLC could transfer the money down and, and pay for it. So you're still respecting the, the, the LLC form to that extent, but that's you know, a great, that's, yeah. I, I want to, that's the main objection. I think people get because yeah. it's not that much to open an LLC and it's right. not very much to maintain right. yeah. an LLC. They don't want 20 bank accounts. Right. So you're saying you still would have them, but you wouldn't have to use them all the time. Basically. Ah, so you still you need could, them. Yeah, you could, but you could have one LLC is basically the rent collector, you know, or, or it's a property manager or whatever you want to call it. But so it would, it would get all the checks and that would be the main place where the money goes. But then if you have specific expenses that come out for the, the you know, the, the smaller, the sub LLCs, then you could transfer the money down. I mean, you're doing all this. Most banks can link them all online. So you could transfer it online and do it. I mean, it's not like it'd be. It's not like you got to walk up there and like, you know, see the teller every day kind of thing. So I, I mean, it, to me, it would be worth it to set things up. That, that's the right way to do it to me. Whether, I mean, and then we talked about possibly grouping them. So you could have like two or three houses in one LLC. If you had like a lot, that would be, that'd be possible too. Yeah. I guess it depends on what the investor wants to decide they want to risk. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. Yeah. Somebody in California, this, so in somebody in California, what, Five hundred thousand million dollar house might do an LLC for every, well, right. California's crazy because their LLC costs are insane. Maybe that's not right. a great example. Yeah, but, they have the franchise tax. Yeah, they got that yeah. silly. But yeah. okay, so let's say it's a million dollar property in Michigan. Mm-hmm. It might make sense to have a five hundred thousand or million dollar in each one in LLC. But if yeah. you own twenty Detroit properties, right, then it might not. You it know. might only be worth. 250, 300,000 altogether. Yeah. Now it's like, what's your risk tolerance? Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you could maybe split them up in the few and you know, five in each or whatever, you know? And I mean, I would probably still try to split it a little bit. You wouldn't want to get wiped out by one lawsuit. I mean, you're going to have insurance too, I would assume. I mean, I hope most people would have. Well, yeah, you would hope. (laughs) (laughs) You should have some insurance. So there'd be no, you would go with LLCs over an S-Corp because. Yeah, because it's not active income that's subject to self-employment tax. That's a big difference. So yeah, the passive income has no self-employment tax. It's reported on the different schedule. So that's good. I mean, and then there are things you can do potentially like, I mean, if you have a job, you might have good health insurance and not have out-of-pocket costs too much, but. If you're, if, you know, you're primarily a real estate investor, maybe your insurance is terrible so that the MERP might be a, a viable option. That's a, a, a good thing. To, I mean, the MERPs are definitely a good thing to have if you can work them in. Cause if you have, you know, if you get, some people can have five, 10 grand out of pocket, you know, with the way deductibles are, you know, it's. Yeah. With Obamacare. <laughs> and of course, the older you get, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to have medical expenses. Right. So if somebody's early on in their career, they're probably less concerned about it. And right. Right. Yeah. The older they get, or if they have health problems in general. Yeah. So what about the investor? Cause I happen to know a few mm-hmm. who own a significant number of rentals, but choose to take it down in their own name personally mm-hmm. and just get a large umbrella policy. Mm-hmm. 
across all of them because they say it makes their taxes easier. Mm-hmm. They don't have to maintain the LLC. They only have one bank account. So they don't have right. all these other bank accounts. And then they just go out and get a uh, basically a liability umbrella policy that covers as many things as they can possibly think about covering, mm-hmm. right? Right. And they say that expense is cheaper and it's easier for them. Uh, what would you say to that individual? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not. At least they've thought it out. You know, I mean, it's not completely unreasonable. I, I could see where they're coming from. I mean, would it work? You know, the, like I said, I used to work for insurance companies. Like, you know, they they may or may not honor. You know, what if they don't honor the policy, or they there's a limit that that you wouldn't anticipate because of some crazy clause. Damn, you just threw in that you did work from. You're right. What if they don't honor it? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, and it, you know, average claims do. I mean, the the stuff we worked on were pretty weird claims. Like we had one where a guy, um, they had it was a natural heating or a, like a fuel oil delivery guy. Well, the people had taken out their fuel oil system. He comes up to the house, puts the thing in, and plugs in the hole in the wall where there's no longer anything. Yeah, that's not going to go he well. Put a couple hundred gallons of fuel oil in their basement. <laughs> it's, and it, this is actually a case that was in the news and stuff because it was pretty wild. And in the insurance company, the argument was uh, there was a like a sudden and accidental discharge clause in there, and they're arguing that's not an accident. That's just gross negligence. You know, <laughs> what's the guy doing? There's no, there's no nowhere to put the fuel oil. You're just pouring in the basement. So, st- I mean, that was a crazy one but you know did that house blow up i don't know how that i don't think it blew up it was just a ridiculous i don't know they either tear it down or spend like you know millions on uh environmental that's so bad know. yeah yeah it was it was bad and it was it was like in green oak township or something so it wasn't like a you know it was a cheaper place to be they may have just taken the loss but that was in the you know we were litigating that for a while so i don't even know what i think it was still going on my left but so but i mean insurance claims you know, odds are if it's a if it's run a mill claim, they'll probably pay it. So it's I mean that again, that's risk tolerance. It there's a good chance it would work. If it you know, if it didn't, then all your properties are subject to, you know, whatever judgment is outstanding. So that there's still a risk there. Would you call it a medium risk or a high risk? Obviously the what yeah. you propose would be the lowest risk right, possible, right, right? right? An LLC for every property, a bank account right. for every LLC, one master LLC where you can do most of your banking yeah. through there yeah. uh, that would be like extremely low risk right right, right exactly and then yeah. on the other side it would just be sole proprietor no liability yeah, right. so it'd just be like a medium risk yeah, mediumish yeah it's hard okay. to say exactly i mean it's definitely it's like i said i mean they're planning out they're thinking about it they're making provisions at least they've kind of you're going into it with your eyes open instead of just kind of buying stuff and hoping you know there it is a plan it, i don't know i as it, i wouldn't be entirely comfortable if i was doing it you know but what about from an estate planning point of view? What if they die suddenly mm-hmm. or something like that, right? And they have all this real estate in their personal name. Oh, then that's a complete mess. Yeah. Okay, so it'd be yeah. better from that point of view. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the nice thing about the, the LLC structure I was talking about is if every one of those house LLCs is a sub-LLC of the, the one that's collecting the money, then you have one LLC you, that you would assign into your trust, and then that's it. That, Boom, yeah, done. So yeah. you don't have to have this huge thing of property. It could just be one LLC that owns all these sub-LLCs. Right, right, okay, so yeah. from a, an estate planning perspective, mm-hmm. you would make, okay, mm-hmm. 
you're taking more of a medium risk uh, yeah. liability, but you're still going to have hassles. If you die suddenly, you're going to be leaving a mess yeah. or you're going to make it harder for your estate planning lawyer. You're going to have more work, more payment and yeah. more properties transferred in, more room for mistakes, right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Because every one of those properties you own would be subject to probate at that point, which is, you know, you have to go down to the court and that's whether you have a will or not, like because wills go to probate court too. So then you'd have to, you know, you'd have to open up a probate estate and each one, depending on the on the situation, some some judges make you have a hearing every time you want to sell real estate, which is we had an estate like that. that was Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you don't want to do that, no, right? No, there was one we got him to lift that. Fortunately, because the guy had like thirty of them, it was crazy. You know, his dad died suddenly, and it was a mess. But yeah, that's a really really a mess. Yeah, the estate planning is a different it's, it's you know different set of calculations. But that is something if you're into in business, especially with a lot of properties, you should look at that because it's a it's a it's really a mess. I mean, you you should get a trust. I mean, well, I yeah, know, you know, people. I, a lot of people try to push them, but that's a situation where you really you should have one. Well, a lot of investors are trying to create a legacy, a retirement. Mm-hmm. They're either trying to retire for themselves mm-hmm. and or they're, it's a contingency plan. Mm-hmm. What if they get fired from their job, right? right. And yeah. or it's going to pay for the kids' college yeah. and or the grandkids' college, right? Yeah. So something to consider is estate planning should be a big part of not just taxes and liability, but right. – what if you expire? I mean, nobody gets to pick the time unless right, you want to yeah. take matters into your own hands. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's something to consider, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, and, and it's going to be a lot more expensive for your estate if it ends up in probate versus setting it up ahead of time. It's yeah. a lot cheaper. I mean, you can get a, a whole estate plan done for like 1500 to 2000 typically with a trust and powers of attorney, everything you would need. And that's that's like the retainer for a probate estate. Usually, it's two grand to start the you know? retainer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then we'll bill of hourly. You know, then the milking begins. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 but the probate courts are a hassle, and they're all slightly. Dude, they're different. terrible. Yeah, like, and slow. Yeah, by the and, way, and slow. Yeah, incredible. I've done enough probate yeah. deals now with my partners. Realize mm-hmm. it's just not going anywhere fast. No, no. And it, I've seen deals lost because they wouldn't schedule a hearing. Yeah, <laughs> in an expeditious basis, they just they don't care. They don't. It's amazing to <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, like we were the ones giving you money. Like, yeah, we don't care. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I guess, I guess we're not doing this deal. Yeah, yeah. I've had several die that way. It's yeah. funny you bring that up. It's like, yeah. all right. I, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, Judges out of town for a couple of weeks. I don't know what to say here, but yeah. yes, yeah, this is a problem. Yeah. It's a real problem. Okay. So let's move on to our next hypothetical okay. investor. And this, I think this is probably the most common. Okay. Right. So they have, let's say, five to 10 single family homes they're renting out mm-hmm. and they flip. Mm-hmm maybe one to five a year. Mm-hmm. And they probably at least still have between, between this family, one square job. Okay. Right. Okay. So for this person where, and we're going to go with like, they're making 20 grand to flip. They do one to five a year okay. and they got five to 10 single family home rentals and a square job, maybe mm-hmm. a couple kids. Mm-hmm. What would you recommend for that investor? That one's going to be a trickier one. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because the the rule is with the on the flipping end of things is it's depends on what your um, principal business line is. I, I guess I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but you know if you have rental properties and you 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 sell a house every once in a while, then you can treat that as a capital gain or a capital loss. You know, and even if it's a flip, it would just be short term, which is which is fine because I mean the good thing about that is there's no self employment tax. But, you know, so I would say if you have like five or well, how many rentals were we saying? Five to we'll say five uh, to ten, five to ten. Yeah. I mean, you have five to ten rentals and you're, you're flipping one house a year. 
there's a good argument that you're in the line of business of renting houses and that the, the flip's kind of incidental, you know, it could have been a house you thought about renting and decided to sell. I mean, that, so that would be a, a reasonable position to take because this is all going to be what's reasonable to take on the, there's not, I, I looked into this for a, a client a, like a year or so ago to see if there was like really a rule. And there's, there's really not because what the, eventually what it is, is if they, if the IRS decides that your business is, is flipping more than running, then you're treated like a car dealer where it's like inventory, you know? So like a, kind of what we were talking about, it's all active income. And then that's where the self-employment tax comes in. So there's going to be kind of a spectrum of comfort there. <laughs> like the one flip a year with the, with five to 10 rentals, I'd say I'd, I'd just be, a let it go. Rentals. Yeah. I don't think there'd be an issue with that. And, and I do a lot of, I do do a lot of work with the helping people people with their tax problems. So I get involved with the IRS a lot in terms of audits and appeals and stuff. I would have no problem sitting down there with them and saying, look, you know, this, this is one they could, they probably thought were thinking about renting it and sold it. You get to five and, and it's like a hundred grand in, in, in income. You know, obviously there's some expenses there too, but that one is tougher. I, I might, I probably would recommend separating the businesses at that point and doing an S corporation and just kind of coming clean with it. You know what I mean? And then the in-between ones, I don't know. I mean, we'd have to look. That would probably be on a case-by-case thing. We'd have to look at exactly how many rentals they have and probably have a discussion over what makes the most sense and maybe even look up some of those cases I was looking at to see if what we had support for. Because if you had three, eh, I don't know. You know, that's – I don't know. Towing the line. Be. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it, it would be pretty aggressive to treat those all as capital gains every year, especially if it was every year. It would be one thing if it was three one year, one another. Then maybe – you know, I mean, it's – but that that's an area where it, there's kind of a spectrum and there's not a clear answer. But Well, most of the investors, the reason why they start flipping is they run out of money <laughs> yeah. to buy their rental. So they're trying to save up either to buy all cash or usually mm-hmm. some sort of 20 or 30% down payment, right? If you right. read The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller, this is one of the methods he's talking about where you either save money mm-hmm. or you go on flip or wholesale. You, get, you, you have some repeatable way of... Rec- of acquiring the 20 to 30% you need to put down on a property. Right. Yeah, yeah. And this is a problem. Most people who have jobs, it goes to kids. There's, yeah. there's not much left. Yeah, right. It's or it takes them five years to save 20%. So they right. go, how can I speed this up? Right. I'm going to wholesale and flip mm-hmm. five properties a year. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give me my money to go put 20 or 30% down or to buy cash and then refi out. Mm-hmm. So this is, I think a very, common yeah. scenario that yeah. a lot of investors will find themselves in for some period of time. In fact, I would say mm-hmm. most single family home investors fall into this category. They have yeah. a job, yeah. maybe yeah. even decent retirement. This is just extra mm-hmm. and they want to acquire more rentals, but they don't have a good way of doing it in a timely fashion. So right. they start to wholesale or flip mm-hmm. to put down payments or buy cash. Right. What about, because that person is looking to actively flip mm-hmm maybe four or five a year yeah. so they can buy more rentals. Yeah. See where I'm going with that? Yeah. That one, I mean, it's probably heading more towards S corporation. Yeah. So you, you know. set up an S corp and yeah. LLCs. Yeah. 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 Have, and I have clients like that who have multiple, you know, I mean, I have ones who have like uh near, they got the rentals and then they have the thing for the wholesale and the flipping. And then there's like a, like a construction one. Cause they do like a lot of the remodels for people. So they'll have them all, you know, sometimes it'll be all separate or, you can you can structure things like in layers too. Like if you had if you were a contractor as well, and you had the wholesale and flipping, maybe you have like the contractor be a sub LLC for that S corporation, so you don't have like two salary requirements. So you can and then you'd still save on the self employment tax. But 
Yeah, you can. That I would probably separate out. I think it makes sense, and because I mean, the downside is if, if you're reporting everything as those you know capital gains, and then you get audited, and they they say no, that should have been self employment. Not only do you end up paying the tax, but you pay a tax on the whole self employment instead of like the half for the escort plus all the interest and penalties. If there's a good chance you're going to lose, that that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? No, so. that that wouldn't make that wouldn't make much sense. So there wouldn't yeah. be a problem. Uh, bank, how would you get the money from taking it down personally from your S core mm-hmm. and then buying a rental? Is there any problem there or no, you just, as long as you're reporting at the end of the year, you can just take the money out. All right. Yeah. Now I'm really going to fuck you up. What if I, my limited liability corporation wants to borrow money from my S corporation mm-hmm. instead of me taking it down personally? Too complicated. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I, don't, <laughs> I don't think you would. I think you're just you wouldn't get much benefit out of it, honestly. Okay, so you not know? worth the effort. Yeah, really. yeah, I don't think so. I don't. Yeah. Well, you know they were going to ask, so I had to ask. They're like, wait yeah. a second, I read online. Yeah. What about that? Yeah. yeah, they haven't even bought a house yet, but they're like, I'm a tax expert, and I read on bigger pockets that right, yeah. you just borrow the money and you just never pay it, or whatever you pay right. it back, and an exorbitant interest. Right. I actually had a guru try and teach me this. Right? Really? You have one lend to the other, and you jack your interest rate up so you can reduce your taxes even more huh. i don't know how well, how would that is that some guru though. bs yeah i don't know I'd, I'd have to see how that would work out it doesn't seem that doesn't really pass a sniff test no know. don't like that <laughs> <laughs> no. yeah. doesn't make any sense uh-huh. well that brings up a good point what about a general contractor because that's another way mm-hmm. um some investors end up making extra money on the side is they mm-hmm. wait they start doing flips and they realize wait, I got this crew and I need to keep them busy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they end up hiring out just to keep their crew working while they're waiting to get their next project. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, any special consideration for that? Or would you still run that out of an S Corp or an LLC? S Corp would be the okay. way to go. Yeah. I have some, a couple of clients like that. I mean, again, it's if in that situation, you have to make sure you're really going to be profitable enough to make it worth the extra costs, you know, because it, usually it's somewhere, if you're around 20 or 30 in profits, it's probably not worth the extra effort. You know, honestly, because you end up saving like, you know, 500 bucks or something. I mean, you might want to. I do, Actually, I do have a couple of clients who are pretty close to that. Just like they figure, hey, if I don't have to pay an extra 500, why not? Yeah, you some know? people don't want to give the government any money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I've had some people say, I'd rather pay you even if it's the same amount. <laughs> you, know? Like you know, in like a litigation situation yep. you know, against the IRS, they're like, I don't care if it's the exact same thing. If it's going to you, I, I like you more than I like them. I like that policy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not a fan of the government either. You're not getting any more of my money. Yeah. All right. I'm trying to think of if there's any other scenarios. Um, not before I move on. Just going to throw a loop, uh, uh, throw a curveball at you. Okay. What about the people buying and selling real estate, but they're transferring it via LLCs and or trusts, right? Mm-hmm. So let me give you a scenario. Okay. Guy, go and sit down to Miss, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner. I'm going to buy your house. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ways they can pay a little bit more is we'll create a trust or an LLC. You'll transfer it in there. Then I'll buy that. And this helps us avoid closing costs, especially depending on the state. And then mm-hmm. we'll transfer either from the trust to beneficial, beneficial interest, mm-hmm. or we'll just sell you. I can't remember how you sell the land contract. Is it assignment? Whatever, mm-hmm. whatever to it, mm-hmm. right? To avoid these taxes right right there's a bunch of gurus who go around talking about uh, and also for liability purposes mm-hmm. um some people like to trust because 
they're more difficult to breach or whatever. I'm sure you've heard these yeah, questions yeah, before. Yeah. Let's well, debunk and walk through these yeah, things, okay? Well, the last one's easy. A trust doesn't really give you any creditor protection whatsoever. So that that one's an easy one. It's just another if it's a, a if we're really any trust that you form and fund is basically you for creditor purposes. Unless it's specifically an asset protection trust, which is a different than typically what people are forming. And I, I, I guess I should say Michigan does now have asset protection trusts that just as of like this year, they, they just started them. So there's, it's very new. Typically before you go to another state, like, a, like we've used South Dakota before, like you could set it up. But the, the old law going back to like English times is you couldn't avoid creditors by setting up a trust of your own and funding it with your own money. So that, that's always been the common law. And now there's these statutes that are kind of slowly working their way around that get around that. But there's still, even if you do that, there are asset protection trusts. And I, I think Michigan, I haven't really looked at the statute that much because it's so new. But if it works like the other ones, you can't make yourself insolvent by doing that. Like you still have to have stuff that creditors can come after. So it's really more useful for wealthy people who like the one client we had wanted to stash a couple million because, you know, just he had money, many other millions, <laughs> you know, sitting in his own name. But that way, at least some of it wouldn't get, you know, if just a little it. nest egg just in case. Yeah. Just break in, in case. case of emergency. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you can do that. But in general, if you're just doing a trust like, um, you know, a kind of revocable or irrevocable, really trust there. You know, kind of standard trusts that people you see most of the time, those don't have any credit protection. So that's one thing to say. What about um, the tax? This I know it's done yeah. a lot of times to avoid the because no. a sale of a property mm-hmm. in most states, I think all states, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Uh, they usually the state wants their money, right? They want the some one, tax, one and a half, whatever. Yeah, yeah whatever yeah. the transfer tax, and yeah. this is used to avoid. So if you transfer tax, how, and so in this situation, you would form an L, who would who would form the LLC? The seller would create the LLC and or the trust. Uh-huh. And then put the house into the trust, mm-hmm. and instead of selling the house, they would, uh, basically, what do they, what do they call it? Uh, they transfer the interest, equitable yeah, interest, yeah. or whatever, of the trust and or the LLC. Mm-hmm. I know it's potentially a gray area, but mm-hmm. since I actually have like an educated tax yeah. dude in front of me, yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably about ninety percent sure that wouldn't work. I'd have to look for sure because with the real estate transfer taxes in Michigan. Generally, they apply to you know sale of real estate. There are there's a bunch of exceptions to each one, and there are exceptions for in situations with I don't know if there actually is one with a trust, but there is one with an LLC. I know, but generally those are for commonly controlled entities. So if you're selling, uh, you know, if the, the sellers are selling the membership in the LLC to a third party, that's that's going to trigger the tax. I I don't think you could get around it that way. The way Michigan State. Well, I think their argument is there was no deed transfer, so it's going to be difficult to prove, right? Well, you'd have to deed it into the LLC, and then yeah, that'd be sitting. There, but you could just say asset protection. The ownership of the LLC. I mean. You might get away with it at the beginning. I mean, I I think that that it would still be subject to the tax if they figured it out. If they figured <laughs> you know, basically, it out, yeah. Well, and the other thing too is it would it certainly transfer. Well, actually, no. I was going to say it transferred to LLC would uncap it, but if they control the LLC, it probably wouldn't. That's one of the it, exempt transfers. Yeah, yeah for yeah. for the yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, it's. 
that's the kind of thing where it might kind of work for a while, but if you got caught, you'd end up paying a lot, you know, because I, I don't think that's an exception. I'd have to, again, I'd, I don't have all the exceptions memorized because they, they do have kind of fine, you know, language in there. But I, I'm pretty sure that if you change the beneficial interests in an LLC or a trust, that it should be subject to transfer tax. Yeah, they're not like, nah, yeah. they, they're going to want their money. Yeah, because I've I had deals. I haven't, I had a deal like that a while ago, but that was probably like 10 or 12 years ago. That stuff changes because they're always trying to figure out like what people are trying to do to avoid the transfer taxes. So it, you know, it, it does change pretty regularly too. To, you know, so. there are, investors are always trying not to pay taxes. Yeah, of yeah, course, it's right? Understandable, but yeah. All right, um, I have some internet questions. Okay. If you're if you are ready for some internet questions, right, I can't yeah. think. Did you have any other hypothetical questions that I avoided? I think I. Was there any common ones I missed? Or? I think I hit the main ones. Yeah, you know, I think yeah, I... Those are, that's the kind of stuff I see. I mean, the the wholesaling's one, but we, that kind of falls in with all the, with the other ones. Treat it like a flipper. Yeah, yeah. You, as an agent, too, you should set, think about setting up a, an S corporation. Yeah, yeah, the one wrinkle with agents is that if you're not a broker, they're not going to pay you directly to the corporation. So you can still do it for tax purposes. There's just kind of extra steps, you know, how to set it up. But you could still do it. Ideally, you get the broker license, then they'll just pay it right in there, and it's a little it's more straightforward. I always like to have less things for them to ask about if they do audit you. But it's not, you know, there's not a problem with it. It's just harder to, you know. So what if you're not it. a broker? How do you have to do it? Well, what you do is, you, you know, they're going to pay the money to you. They won't. Although I actually, a couple of agents I know have managed to get them to just directly deposit into their <laughs> corporation account. I don't think. They they really know what it is. Like, you know, it's my new account. I swear yeah, to God. Yeah, like, that's what it is. But, <laughs> but what you do is you get the money in your account, you know, when they pay you your commission, then you, you transfer it into the corporation bank account. In that situation, you want to be really good about having, you know, doing the payroll and making sure you have all your documents in place. So the S corporation really is used, you know, pay all your expenses out of there. Don't, don't commingle. That's another area we didn't talk about, but when it comes to piercing the corporate veil is don't pay your personal expenses out of the corporate. Oh, account. thank you. Let's talk about yeah. commingling of funds. Yeah. Whenever you're ready, we'll yeah. do that before so, we get to internet questions. Yeah, that's well, that's the that's the biggest thing is like you know if you want to pay you know you got you want to pay your bills, transfer the money out and then pay your bill directly from your personal account. Don't don't write your mortgage check out of the business account or you know pay for dinner with your, your Valentine or whatever you know. Keep it as long as you keep them separate. That's that's the way to do it. So I mean, you don't. It is it is difficult, especially if you're like a you know a real estate agent and you know you have like. 30 grand this month and two the next or whatever. So it's not like you have to like keep a regular paycheck going, but just make sure that you, you transfer the whole amount out that you need to pay bills and live off of like at a time. You know what I mean? Try to keep it separate. If, if catch my drift. Yeah, that makes sense. And have a separate bank account set up too, yeah, right? That's, that's yeah. the first thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Here I have a question from Facebook. Brian Zabowski. As someone who wants to educate themselves about tax law, what are some good resources to learn about it? Specifically, a good book about various cases or maybe a recommended college course that would be the most beneficial for someone who is starting out. And he would be a young and upcoming real estate investor. I know he's doing okay. wholesaling. Okay. I think he has a few rentals, I okay. think. Okay. so. So this is just it would it be specifically on investing or just yeah I think on taxes on taxes yeah, he's okay. he's more on tax law kind of like okay. what we just talked about is yeah, there a yeah. book or a course you'd recommend um, or well you that's a tough one I mean well one place that you actually is a surprising wealth of information is IRS publications 
again, they're, they're going to be slanted towards IRS and interpretation, and everything, but they do have a lot of good, um, general references. Like there'll be, if you have a specific, like rental income, there'll be, there's an IRS publication that deals with that. That's worthwhile reading. It, it'll go into examples and stuff and it's not going to teach you strategies necessarily, but it'll give you a good kind of founding in the basics of the law. It's a, it's a very basic thing, but that would be actually one place to start. Is that on the IRS website? Is it a PDF or they buy yeah, the book? There's a, there's a PDF. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you, Google like IRS publication on rental properties. It's what will pop up in one of the first couple of results. Cause I look at those sometimes, uh, you know, for something kind of a weird question, cause they'll have examples of how things would be calculated. So that's a good place to start with. Those Obviously are, that's probably a very conservative point yeah, of view. Yeah, on oh it. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's going to favor the IRS. If there's, they're not going to mention that's a great, <laughs> you know, that, just pay us more. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it is good. It's good with the basics, you know, and, and that, that's helpful. There are, I'm trying to think what else is good. Those, um, those yellow books, like, like JK Lassiter or they do one every year. That's a, that covers like the tax code basically. I think that, I mean, I've used that before in general tax questions. I, I think those would probably be a pretty good thing to flip through. You could kind of flip to the sections that interest you. And those ones are probably a little bit more in terms of giving you some ideas with planning and stuff like that. Other than that, I mean, I haven't seen a lot of good stuff because I mean, a lot of, I wouldn't trust stuff you just Google because I've read a lot of yeah, things no. that are, are questionable, you know, or there was another, actually, there is a, um, there's a guy out of Denver that I look at his stuff sometimes. He's like a CPA who, who writes a lot of stuff. I don't know. I don't remember his name, but he he's a, like, if you Googled like a Denver CPA, he might come up. He's got some really good stuff. That's pretty, seems pretty on point. Yeah. You know? So not too many resources, yeah, but a few to I, look uh, at. It's, it's hard. It's a tough area. Well, riveting reading, I'm sure. Too, yeah. Right? yeah not going to sell a million copies probably. I know. I know. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like everybody's like, why would we print this? Absolutely. Yeah. Nobody's going to read it except for Brian Zabowski. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. This one we talked about before the podcast. This is from Carrie Mada. I'm taking a road trip to visit family in Tennessee and Florida this summer. Two adults and two kids traveling. Anyway, can I legally and ethically take this as a tax deduction for my real estate business? Honestly, I'm not planning to buy a property there. Well, I mean, I would say no. I mean, if you, if you had the, you know, if you, if it was a, if you had a business purpose, it would be something where you could, you, you can do that. I mean, you, you wouldn't be able to take like the whole amount. You would basically take your portion. So, I mean, the driving probably be a hundred percent because you'd have to drive. But like if you're staying at a hotel, you'd probably want to, you know, if you had two rooms, take one of them, that kind of thing. But if you're just going for fun and I wouldn't do that, that's, I mean, you know. what if she got BS advice from a guru who said, just go look at prop. Property. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not planning to buy, but you're going to look at deals while you're down there mm -hmm. and you just didn't happen to buy. And they actually did go mm -hmm. and look at property. Yeah. Would that qualify? So if that, would they have proof that they looked at the property? Yeah. Let's say they yeah. took pictures. They met with yeah. an agent. They had yeah. showing times. They yeah. signed some sort of agreement to pay commission. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, I guess there's two, you said legally and ethically. Legally, you might get away with it if you're sitting there, you know, because what happens if you get audited? You're sitting in front of a, you know, an IRS agent and they see a number on the form that says travel and it says like 10 grand. And they say, well, where'd this come from? Where's your receipts and stuff? And what's the purpose of this trip? So you have to be able to convince them that it was a legitimate trip. 
maybe you could in that situation if you showed them the pictures like, hey, look, I'm in. I mean, it does help if you're already in real estate, like if you're a licensed agent or something or you're an investor, you know, and you have properties and you're looking at other ones and, you know, it's it's conceivable. So that maybe you could get away with it ethically if you know that you're not doing it and you're just doing it for a tax, write, tax write off. I don't I mean, that's not that ethical. So, no, I mean, that's, I guess, uh, the you know. I would say for the more conservative folks, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, yeah. probably don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't. Do or that go look at property. Yeah. Maybe you'll find a deal. Right? Yeah, legitimately do it. Then yeah, spend a couple yeah. days looking at property. Don't go look at one and try and write the whole trip off. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, people do that. Like they'll like. I mean, I did that years ago. We had a conference in D.C. That like a tax conference. I went to. I took my wife. You know, wrote off the you know the hotel room because I had that anyway. The you know my plane fare. You know, half the meals, that's legitimate. You know, it's a travel expense for business, but you just don't want to get greedy with this stuff, you know. And I, the other thing I find is a lot of the time people focus on stuff like that or like, you know, one that a lot of people like is they'll put like um, on-car advertising. They'll like plaster their car with an ad and be like, okay, now it's 100% business. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's still Doesn't work that usage. way, yeah. No, yeah. it's still by business usage. So if you're driving that to the movies every night and like a mile a week for business, that's all you get is that mile. You know, it's that's the way, that, and, and plus the cost of putting the ad on there. You know, that's the way the IRS looks at it. They look at usage, not like it's not like some people treat it like it's a magic wand to make this a business car. And that's I think that's a lot of people's approach. Yeah. Oh, don't let me forget about these magical C corporations from Nevada and Massachusetts. OK. okay? okay. In fact, let's just do that right now okay. before well, I get. Well, let me get on the, the one thing I was going to say okay. about the uh, um, about that. But a lot of times you're, you're focusing on the wrong area anyway. Like these things are not that. You know, you'll you'll be looking to write off like a, a trip or your car, you know, whereas in, if, you're, if you're a realtor, you're driving a lot anyway. So you don't really need to do that. But and then you'll ignore stuff like the S Corporation or the Merp or things that really could save you tens of thousands of dollars potentially. That's an excellent point. You know, yeah. that, Take care of the fan, the uh, fundamentals yeah, first. Yeah. yeah. And then you don't have to push the envelope on the on the smaller ones, you mm-hmm. know, take, you know, do the big ones that are totally legitimate and, you know, in black and white and then. Don't worry about that other stuff. That's kind of the way I look at it. No, that's, that's actually good advice. If you're worried, well, like anything, right? The fundamentals. Yeah. Just work on the fundamentals and you're yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. All right. So what about these magic C corporations mm-hmm. from Nevada and Massachusetts? I'm sure you've heard it. I've heard where it. you don't have to pay tax because yeah. it's there or you're right. protected because it's 18,000 year old law, whatever, right? right. Yeah. Is there anything special about a Nevada or a Massachusetts C corporation. Not that I'm aware of. No, no. I mean, the only thing, like I said, that there are some states that have asset protection trusts, so that could get garbled in there somehow. I don't know if Nevada does or not. Well, specifically, they're pitched yeah, as ways to completely avoid liability, but mostly taxes, because Nevada has no taxes, and you don't have to pay taxes on corporation. And yeah. so do. Well, so that, just put your corporation here and then flip your houses in Michigan there and pay no taxes. Yeah, no, that wouldn't work. I mean, the, the, you, unless you're moving to Nevada and then flipping houses there, then maybe. But no, I mean, because every state, the way that taxes work in the United States is that you have nexus. And that's like the, the connection to the place where you are. If all your income has, is it occurring in Michigan, which is really hard to say it's not if you're flipping houses that are located. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not going to you're going to have a Nevada thing, but all your income is going to be allocated to Michigan. That's how you allocate based on the percentage in each state. So if you're if you have no business presence in Nevada, you wouldn't have anything allocated there. You basically just have an expensive Nevada corporation that isn't doing anything for you. And the other thing too, on the other side of that liability is 
you that's again you gotta focus on the basics set up your corporation or your llc to have it you know done properly even if you hire an attorney just to set it up at least it's done right in the in the beginning then you're going to be as protected as you're going to be with that you know and assuming you're operating your business in a reasonable manner don't be negligent and you know leave out like you know empty you know like full canes of gas in the garage and your rentals <laughs> or you know whatever you know things that could, could don't fill up the basement with fuel oil <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah stuff like that you don't need one you don't need exotic things for liability protection we have perfectly good liability protection vehicles in michigan and two you're never going to be fully protected from liability anyway the people this is the way the country works you can sue i could sue you for like the way you looked at me during the podcast i figured that out the hard way by the way you think everything's protected oh no No, they just sue you for three four years anyway yeah Yeah. and that's in lawsuits that they're easy to start and hard to get rid of and that's just that if you're in business you just have to accept that risk it's yeah. there's nothing that's going to stop that that's so. a great easy to start hard to get out of that yeah, yeah that's that's about right yeah, yeah. that's that's the way the system is yeah <laughs> it's exactly like that so okay so no magic special c no, corporations there's no, there's with fairies no and you don't have to pay taxes no so if you're doing if you if your corporation is in nevada and all your business is in michigan you're going to pay business tax in michigan yeah, right gonna, yeah I mean, if 50 of your yeah. business is in nevada and 50 percent of your business is in michigan you're going to split it 50 50 yeah, right exactly yeah. okay yeah stuff like that yeah. there you go yeah. debunked yeah, yeah. <laughs> right yeah. here on the podcast um what do you recommend for an investor who owns 10 rentals and works a day job? Actually, I asked that question, yeah, right? Yeah, we already answered that one. Yeah. Sorry, folks. I didn't mean to do that. S and answered. Um, we did that one. Uh, flips and owns. Does it matter which state you are in? That's an interesting question. I should have asked a follow-up question on this. I think this ties into my next question. So let me just ask the next question. What if you live in England, Australia, or China, or I'd say another state, mm-hmm. and own rental income or rental properties in Michigan. Okay. Well, because 30% of this audience is out of state and out of country. Okay. So we got a lot of England, Australia, that okay. kind of thing. Okay. Well, that's two different, pretty different categories. Um, the out of state people, if you have rental income in Michigan, that's going to be subject to Michigan tax, you know, but again, it's going to be allocated. So the, the rest of it's not going to make your, if you got a job in Indiana, you know, they're not, and use Ohio, the Michigan guy. So hey, no, we don't like Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> so you got a job in Indiana. That's going to, that's not going to be subject to Michigan tax. Kind of like if, if you work in Detroit, you know, you pay on the Detroit income, but not the, you know, not out of, you know, the anything you would earn outside of Detroit, it'd be the same kind of thing. So, wouldn't be that different, I, I suppose, than than they're used to. They just would have a Michigan. There's a non-resident tax return for Michigan that you would file, and some of your income would be allocated to that. And then that that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, because the state laws aren't that crazy. It gets a little bit more wild and woolly if you're uh, uh, living out of the country. And it, and and you're non-U.S. citizen specifically. I know most of these people are not right, U.S. citizens. So yeah. you're a, that that qualification is under tax code. They call that non-resident alien. So you're not, you know, you're in a, you're not a U.S. citizen and you're not resident here. So assuming that's the case, then you're going to have uh, you're going to have to pay U.S. taxes on your rental income. How you do it is a is <laughs> is a matter. It really, actually, the the income tax side of things isn't as complicated. It's the estate tax part. Because in the, on, under estate taxes, uh, the way that things are now, you can die and leave five million bucks, or it's actually almost six now because it keeps going up to your heirs tax free. But that's if you're a U.S. citizen. If you're a non-resident or a resident alien, 
potentially there's a, there's a lot of this area. There's a lot of qualifications and ifs and possible. And when it comes to that stuff, is that just Michigan based or is it changed state by state or no, this is, this is like us tax level wise. This is federal tax. This is federal tax. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And so if you, but if you die, um, owning property in the U S whether it's Michigan or, or wherever, and you're a, a non-resident alien, you only get, I think it's like $60,000 worth of, um, exemption before the estate tax kicks in. So that tends to be where people are planning more. So if you have a couple hundred thousand dollar house, you could end up paying, you know, on 140 of it, you could end up paying like a, it's like a 40% tax, Ooh. you know? So that's, a, that's one word. And a lot of times, and the LLC doesn't help on that because it's a disregarded entity. So you file a U.S. tax return for that income. And then the question is how to, um, how you want to do it. One way that people do it is they'll form a corporation in um, their home country. So if you're in England, form an England, English corporation, which I can't help you with. I yeah, have no idea. You're on that. your own on that. Yeah. But then you could have that, that uh, corporation own the, an LLC that would own the rental property here. So that, that way, if you died, the corporation doesn't die. So you don't have the estate tax issue. You could pass the corporation shares onto your heirs and then you know, eventually the corporation would sell the property or something. So the estate tax planning actually is much more critical for rentals. The, if you're a non-resident alien, and that's one I would definitely, definitely recommend talking to a lawyer first so they can really get into the details and make sure because there there's a lot of things that can change. But that's kind of the general picture. Income tax, you're just going to pay income. On it. You're going to file a U.S. return, which not a lot of people like, but it's that's just the way it is. You got to do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I've heard is a lot of people just own it in their personal name anyway mm-hmm. because they figured they'll just lose the house. Mm-hmm. And being overseas, it's difficult for them to be sued or served yeah. or anything else like that. Yeah. What would you say about a strategy like that? Well, that's, I mean, that's probably true to a certain extent. It is, it, I mean, it's difficult serving somebody out of state, let alone in, you know, in England. But I mean, it's probably also not the ideal way to set it up. It'd be better to have it, you know, especially, well, again, if you had one, I might, that might be fine, honestly. But if you had a couple of them, you know, and you didn't, like, you didn't want to lose both if one got sued, then the LLC is definitely coming to play. So that's so that's another like risk factor right there. Yeah, yeah. Are there any problems with, um, what do you call them, non-resident aliens mm-hmm. setting up entities to purchase problems how like just yeah so you're just from yeah just uh, is there any problem with doing no, that or no i mean there are not legally speaking so practically the the one issue is like if, if you want to form a michigan company you need a resident agent that's yeah. here so that can be kind of a pain sometimes like i just had one well he wasn't an alien he was from california although they kind of same thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But like he had his realtor serve as a resident agent, you know, because the guy was going to be a property manager for him too. So you could do stuff like that. Attorneys do it. I do it from time to time. One, I don't charge for that. Like I had someone come in who had, who was getting charged like 200 bucks to file the annual statement. You know, they were the resident agent. And I don't know if do you, do you have an entity where you have like an LLC or anything? Where you yeah. Get that, yeah. You get that annual statement yeah. where you, you sign your name and pay 25 bucks. Yeah. This attorney was charging like 200 bucks to, to do that. To do that. Yeah. yeah. I had a good thing going. I was like, man, that's, I never thought of <laughs> I that. I didn't think of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I turns out I charge 150. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. save you 50 bucks. I know. Yeah. My, my mistake was laughing when the guy told me about it because I thought he was joking. And I'm like, Oh. oh yeah, no, I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't charge for that. That's, you just talk yourself out of money. Yeah, like oh, well, that's right. That's funny. <laughs> I sleep well at night though, you know. So. <laughs> oh, here's a great question. I almost I, see. I'm glad I, you guys. You guys ask good internet questions. Thank you, Facebook. 
Let's talk about what qualifies as a real estate professional. Cause I think there's a lot of other guru BS, right? Mm-hmm. You just claim that you're a real estate professional and X, Y, and Z. And what are the pros and cons yeah. of claiming yourself as a real estate professional? Well, you have to have a, the requisite number of hours in working in real estate. And that's like, I believe it's 750. Don't, don't quote me. That's easily to look up. You could Google that and find that on the IRS site. I think it's 750 hours for the year. I think you're pretty right about that. Yeah. yeah. And then, and that has to be, you know, and let me Google it while you're doing the answer. So okay, we can there fix you it go. Yeah, yeah. See if I'm right. Cause that's, uh, but so, and that has, it's real estate related. Obviously if you're like, um, you know, licensed agent or something, that's going to be, that's going to help you in that cause, but you don't have to be like, you could be a, you know, own rental properties and that, you know, the time going to and from the rentals and working on them, that kind of thing. But they do, um, they do look at that. I mean, I wouldn't just say I am if you don't have any proof of that. Cause I, we actually had a case not that long ago where the, the person got audited and the IRS was disputing that, that they're a real estate professional because they had like one rental property and they, it was like their house that they had moved out of. They weren't really landlords. They were just, they moved out of their house and they were renting it. And how'd it, you spend 750 hours doing that? Yeah. Right? And then it that was tough. I don't, I think. I don't remember if we won or not on that one, honestly. It was, I was working with another guy in the case, but they were being pretty difficult about it. So it's not something you just want to say without any proof. You really want to actually meet the requirement. And the, the biggest benefit is that you, um, you can take, you get more losses, like your passive losses aren't limited. You know, if you, so if you have a lot of losses on your, um, rental real estate, then if you're not a rental uh, real estate professional, then they're they're limited, but you get to take them all if you're a real estate professional. That's that's the biggest um, tax wise benefit. It says 750 hours. This is on the IRS.gov. So yeah. I'm hoping that is a qualified source. Yeah, that's, a, that's very good. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you were correct. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, good. That's good. We did it live there. Yeah, yeah there that we was go. good advice yeah, right there. Yeah. So so they can't just uh, you just put it on your form and you go Kate, write yeah. off all the losses yeah. and. They, I, yeah, I mean, you. How would you prove such a thing? Obviously, licensing would be one yeah, way. Yeah, licensing right? helps. And then, like, we were trying to use a spreadsheet where they went back and and calculate, tabulated time, like drive to the rental, do this, do that. You know, you can reconstruct that. Like, you can't a mileage log. It's the same kind of idea. If you had like a you know appointment book or something to show that you were working on it. It, you know, again, if you're, if you're, you know, if you own, it's going to depend on the facts and circumstances. That's a famous IRS. Thing, <laughs> but, but it, but it is true because if you have, like, if you have like 10 or 20 rentals, they're probably not going to argue with you. If you have one and a full time job that looks like you're pretty busy at, they're going to look at it and they wonder, and they're going to want proof like that. Do you have, well, where are your, where's your appointment book? You know, how many times have you been out there? Like, you know, because a lot of if it's a rental and it's a nice place, what are you going out there for? You, know, you got tenant in it. Why, why are you just hanging out with them? You know, I mean, what are you doing? So, Seventy. That's every year. Seven hundred fifty hours every year. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a little difficult to prove, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it is, it's definitely not something I just say. Hey, I'll just put it on there and. But I, but at the other hand, people do that. Like they'll put stuff on there. And be like, well, we'll see. Like I always say that in my seminars. Like don't treat your tax return like a first offer. You know, to the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that. Some people do that. Don't do that. That's, That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Lowballing them. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'll pay more. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry. So because yeah. then you can get in real trouble. I mean, you you don't want to get. If you ever have two IRS people show up to your house, that's when you're in trouble. You better call your lawyer. That's the criminal people. Come that's good you. advice. Yeah. So if there's one agent, still call a lawyer. Yeah, but it's but don't worry. Audit, you know, you're all right. But two. 
Definitely don't talk and call yeah. a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, you got problems. Slam That's up. funny. Yeah. I didn't know that. So yeah. two is the magic yeah, number. Two or more. Two. Yeah, yeah. Because any can... more than two and shit's just not going well, but right? Yeah, that's probably bad. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that one happen. But... Two show up. Yeah. They, they go, oh, hi, how you doing? Not great. <laughs> yeah. Um, that that is it. That is it. Let me go. Let me see. Actually, let me check Facebook one more time, okay. since we have a few minutes, and you're extremely knowledgeable. <laughs> let me see if somebody posted any questions that we didn't already go over while we were chatting. And just yeah. taking me a second here. Um, let me see. Oh, Huma says hi. Oh, hi. <laughs> she says you're the most. Anno- she's your most annoying client. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> no, I have, I have a lot of clients. No, she's fine. <laughs> no, apparently you are not. Yeah. So, and here we go. It's taxation theft. Nope. We are good to go. That was all for the internet um, questions. Cool. Is there anything? Um, Cause I know you have some services too, right? You have your, um, is there anything we want to talk about that we haven't talked about? So you got your your tax coaching, your seventy five. Yeah. Now's the time for all that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the tax coaching I could kind of summarize more because, like, I talked about the S corporation level one, where that's seventy five bucks a month. I do the tax planning, you know, setting everything up and the return, so it's all included in there. And you know, and the goal is that you're not afraid to call me if you have tax issues, so we can kind of do stuff during the year rather than waiting till it's too late. Um, I have a lower level one that's fifty bucks a month. That's basically kind of optimizing your business return, you know, your personal return of the business schedule. And then the other one's 150 bucks a month, the kind of higher end. And that, that's kind of catch all. It depends on like sometimes as people have like a, you know, they might have an S corporation and a bunch of rentals or, you know, a few S corporations, stuff like that. Or, or they just really like to come in and talk to me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of thing. You find another tax nerd that loves talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So they'll come in. But so that, that's why I offer there. And I think the other thing we didn't really talk about that much is like, I, I do work with a lot of um, people on fixing their tax problems. Like, like, That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Like I, cause like a lot of times I'll go out to these, um, you know, these real estate uh, agent seminars and I'll talk and, you know, I'll, I'll, a lot, you know, more often than you expect that someone will come up to me after and be like, you know, that S corporation is hush great. tones. Yeah. I, hey. I like all this stuff, but you know, I've been a realtor for five years. I haven't filed my taxes yet. And, oh. and yeah, like, okay. So that's how we got to work. Kind you're of like first. the emergency doctor, tax yeah. doctor. Then I'm like, all right, you're yeah. in some deep shit. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> we have or they'll have a tax lien on their house for a hundred grand because they haven't either paid or filed or so I work with a lot of things like that um, and there's a lot of different you know sometimes it's a matter of filing returns because the IRS can file returns for you that's called substitute for return so if you don't file and they've had information uh, reported to them from someone else that money was paid to you they'll go ahead and file your return. And it's, you know, it's pretty ugly, as you can imagine. That's not very nice. No, no. <laughs> and, uh, and then so the, between the taxes and the penalties and interest, it's, yeah, it can be pretty They probably brutal. take a certain slant if they file it for you, right? Yeah, you better be file it yourself. It's, yeah, it's not going to, yeah, it's going to be ugly. So th- sometimes it's a matter of going back and fixing those. There are there are things called the offer and compromise, which you I hear about on the radio where they're talking about like pennies on the dollar and stuff. And they are they're vastly oversold, <laughs> you know, on the radio. The radio ads are terrible. say it ain't so, Tim. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of those companies are these tax resolution companies that have like two attorneys or CPAs working for them and like fifty salespeople. 
So you, they'll get you in and then they don't do anything. And it's just like they're, they're sales agencies rather than like professionals trying to fix problems. By and large, there are some actual attorneys, like one guy who I had in my LLM program, they advertise. So they're, they're legit. But you know, <laughs> some of the, a lot of these companies are pretty sketchy and they go out of business a lot. I've, I've gotten clients from these companies that never, they never worked on their case and then filed for bankruptcy. So now I got to fix it. But, but the offering compromise sometimes is a viable option for people. And basically what it is, is you it's based on your current income situation and so you do it's a reasonably complex calculation based on how much you could afford to pay and how many assets you have but then you can make an offer that's usually less than what you owe and uh, you know given the right i'm successful very like almost all the time on them because i know which ones to file and which ones not to so but it can be good like i had one my my best one to date they owed about 250 grand in taxes and i got them off for about 30 damn so, yeah that was a good one i mean the, the the circumstances lined up well for that one you know it was like they were they got divorced they moved out of state and there was there was stuff to work with but that was so but and some of them are you know i've gotten ones for like i had one that i got them for like five thousand where they owed 40 you know you can it's a viable option and it's a good way to kind of get things back together, you know, for people, if, especially if you earned a lot and then you owed or, you know, whatever happened in the past and now you're not making that much, it's, it is a good way to kind of clear that off and kind of move forward. Cause if, you know, when you're sitting there with like a 50 or 60 grand tax lien, it's like, you don't want to no, life is not good. No, no. yeah, it's, it's depressing. So. They lean up everything too. Don't they? Yeah. Just like what? At, yeah. By the it, time they get to that point, they're just like pirates. Yeah. Yeah. And the worst really than the liens are the levies, like they'll levy your bank account or your, your paycheck. You know, Ooh. you go to get your paycheck and it's like 200 bucks for the what week. paycheck. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, I had one actually just over Christmas. They were going to, she had gotten levied. She called the next, her next check. She got paid weekly too, which is a real, like, it was a panic trying to get this levy lifted. But the, her next check was going to be December 23rd. So like, you know, two days before Christmas and they were going to clean her out again. And I managed again to lift it, you know, and, and so they didn't love her. So that was like my like heavy Christmas story, you know, so she got a check <laughs> and she was really happy. It was, but it was good. I felt bad for her, you know, it's like she didn't actually even owe that much, but there was a couple of years she didn't file and they just hammered her. And so I was able to get them. I was like, you know, I was able to get them to release it with the installment agreement. And sometimes you could do that. So that seems like a fun job. You get to swoop in and save yeah. the day, kind of most of fun. the time, right? Yeah, yeah, most of the time. Those are fun. The worst are dealing with the state. Like I had a similar one with the state of Michigan. They just would not relent. They were like, we have to have one levy payment come through. They, I was like, she's willing to pay this on an installment agreement. They'll pay it in like a year. No, we have to have a levy payment. And that was the IRS never does that. If they're if you're willing to pay it in a reasonable time, they'll lift it and set you up on installment agreement. Unless you've defaulted like ten times or something. Then they might be a little bit hesitant. Like, no, you did this last time, sir. Yeah. We're not doing it again. Yeah, I mean they will lose faith eventually, but but the state is brutal. Like the, what, would, why is it why is it, why so irrational? There well, the part of the problem is the is the Michigan outsources its collection activities to a private company, a third party you know, debt collector, basically this Michigan accounts receivable collection system. And so you have one issue is that there's, there's the Michigan department of treasury and then this Michigan accounts receivable collections that they don't communicate that well. So that's a problem in and of itself. And also just that they're, they're really interested in they're trying to make money, you know, so they're not, they have all the powers of the state, but yet they have a profit motive, which is, you know, and I'm actually fairly into like you know decreasing government costs and stuff but that seems like an area that might have been ill-advised i don't know yeah there might be a conflict of interest in that one especially if you're going to give them all the authorities that the state would have 
you know, it'd be one thing if you just have them collect like a normal debt collector where they can't just they have to actually sue you before they left. <laughs> you know, or this one is just like, all right, we're taking your checking account. And, you know, or, and they just don't care. They're just going to take it. Oh, yeah, they don't care. And they're 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 pretty terrible to deal with in general. If you finally get a hold of them, they have some of the least agreeable people. <laughs> you know, it really is. <laughs> well, who's going to work at a place that like that for very long? I know. Not yeah. nice people, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you notice the difference, like with the IRS employees. Nine times out of ten, and, and this is a thing that like I've had other attorneys who try to kind of get involved with this stuff who are like more litigators, and they they do poorly. They're like a bull in a china shop. You can't argue with the people, or or like you know, it, it's not like a lawsuit where you're kind of bluffing or negotiating. You have to come and be their friend. You know, mm-hmm. you have to ask them how their day is. You know, like oh yeah, here I'll get this to you, no problem. You know, they have to be on your side. <laughs> a lot of litigation, litigation people fail miserably at that. You know, yeah, don't go. So you're going in asking for something. You're yeah. going to be an asshole. That's not going to get you no, what you want, right? Ever. But if you're nice to them, most of the time they'll work with you. You know, I mean, you do. I, sometimes I'll get a bad one, and my advice there is hang up and call back. If you can tell they're just a jerk, don't deal with them. Like, and we got disconnected. I'm sorry. Yeah. They, well, they don't care. They, they, <laughs> they you know, don't if they're care. that bad anyway, they really, they're glad that phone call's done because they have time limits they're supposed to have. So they don't, yeah, it doesn't matter to them. And I mean, I get disconnected from them all the time anyway because the, their phone systems are terrible. But why am I not surprised by yeah. any of this information, <laughs> <Yeah>. Tim? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, they have a practitioner priority hotline for like attorneys and CPAs to call. That was down for like six months. I was like, only six yeah. months. I mean, it was, I finally, one day I was like, oh, I'm going to try it again. And it worked. I was like, Oh, you know, you're not on the regular collection line, but the IRS employees, I mean, it's a better job like to work for the IRS. You get government pay and benefits. It's not some third party collection agency. So the people are a little bit better to work with, which it's kind of weird. But. Yeah. It's got to have a shit job stealing money from people. Yeah. Talking yeah. to people who can't afford to pay you all day. I bet that's yeah. fun. Oh yeah. It's got to yeah. be depressing. It's got to be yeah. great. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, I'm really glad I'm doing that. Yeah, Probably half of them yell at you <laughs> at least right? out their bank account. Yeah. Yeah. Well, don't call and yell at the IRS either. Yeah. That yeah, does not either. seem like a good idea. No, no. Human nature over. has to take over at some point. Oh like, yeah. yeah. The yeah. nicest person, like I'm not going to help you today. Yeah. Yeah. You might I'm not sorry. get another nice person for 10 months, you yeah. know? Yeah. So, Anything else? Um, I'm going to plug all your contact info again before we go. But yeah. no, I think that was it. I think we. I was trying to think if I had any other good stories. That, yeah, I was going to say yeah, because um, this is actually a lot more exciting than I thought it was going to be. Oh, you know, like, good, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. this is pretty good. Yeah, okay. About as exciting as tax information could possibly yeah, be. Yeah, I right? try. It's yeah. There are some. There's some boring stuff too. But it, one. Well, one thing I, I'll say too with these offers and compromise, if if you have it accepted. The one, the one, the big condition is you got in the next five years, you have to file your return and pay your taxes, which you think is kind of no brainer at that point. It's like you got, you know, you saved all this money, you could do it. But I had a guy who, and this actually wasn't, well, he should have been more responsible, but he also had like, he worked with this like CPA or somebody to set up a corporation for a side business and they didn't ever file a return. And then he came to me a couple of years later with a default notice from his offer and compromise. I was so mad too because I had saved him like forty grand, and it was I had to actually do twice because the first time he got a bonus right in the middle of when they were considering <laughs> it. it was like, like, you know, so I was like, "Come on!" So that one got you're not helping your case, dude. No, and so I got the, the second one. I got that. Except I was, you know, I was happy. Two years later, he comes and they they bounce him out. Now we're I'm still working on it. Like, yeah, it was literally two years ago. I'm still I got to try to do another one and. 
It's just a mess. It's so don't don't do that. Don't don't let it fail. Pay your taxes. Yeah. It's yeah. so depressing if you have that. Like, and I had another one where that one where I saved him two hundred grand because I I mainly represent the wife. They got divorced, so I I I actually ever never talked to the husband. You know, she calls me up right before um it was in October they had filed the extended return and said oh well you know he's been he's not wanting to file he's he's like, he's wondering if he really has to file or if he can you know pay over a period of time or something and she's like he's going to be calling me as he calls me he's like well go ahead i was like file it and pay it tomorrow you i was like do you want to pay you know that 200 grand that we got do you want that to be back no then you got fired that seems like a no-brainer i know it's so it was so frustrating i'm like you better not mess this thing up like that was a like it was almost like a piece of art it was so difficult (laughs) you know don't ruin it was beautiful what i did great you know that's my best story don't don't ruin it because and he didn't even owe that money he was like five grand or something i was like find somebody you can borrow from i don't i don't know what you got to do but it's just Five grand is small enough number. I think you should be able to take care of it. It's like if it's 50 grand, like, oh, great. Now what? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like somehow you got to, I mean, somebody's got to like you enough to look at the money or something. That's know. not that hard of a number. Like, That's funny. Oh, I like that you own it. Like, is it, I did this beautiful, like you like did a statue. And yeah, now you're ruining yeah, it. Yeah. You're ruining my beautiful yeah, tax sculpture. Should, you know, big the file was on that one. It was, yeah. It's, a, you know, some of them, it's a lot because the IRS, they, especially if it's a big number, they want a lot of proof for everything. And it's like, you know, I'm faxing them like 30 pages on something and you know yeah it's crazy yeah bankruptcy doesn't wipe wipe that stuff out right you got to pay the government wants their money you can you can in certain circumstances they get not all the time but if like it's uh there's a couple different rules if it's like over three years old you filed your returns and uh it's a couple other sub rules i think but you you can sometimes include it i did a bankruptcy years ago i did when i was a solo i did two bankruptcies as well i did like two divorces two bankruptcies and one of them i got rid of some irs taxes because he had filed and they were just trying to collect so it is possible but not it usually doesn't happen because typically the taxes are around the same time that all the other financial stuff happens so they can't wait you know long enough they need to file bankruptcy now before everything goes so yeah there you go man yeah all right folks Thank you, Tim. That was re- actually that was really awesome. Go check him out. T Harden at Barry Mormon. That's M O O R M A N. This will all be in the show notes. 248-645-2511. BarryMormon.com has an office. 255 East Brown Street, Suite 320, Birmingham, Michigan, 48009. Thanks for your time today, yeah, man. I, I really should appreciate add to it. Real quick, that we do have a Detroit office I go to once a week. So if that's more convenient. There you go. Yeah. So they have it. Go to their website. They actually have three yeah. offices, right? Yeah. We have an Ann Arbor one as well. Yeah. 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 You don't go to that one, though, right? Sometimes. sometimes. By appointment only. Uh, Detroit, I'm there once a week, but the Ann Arbor, it's sometimes. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Thank, you. Thank you. Really appreciate your time, sir. Folks, help, help Tim out. Takes time out of his day. To come do this. Oh, hey, you're available for speaking gigs, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you get a RIA real estate group, you want them to come talk. Yeah. You got a real estate office. You're an agent. You want to come talk. Yeah. He'll come talk. Yeah. All right. For do like an hour. Yeah, an hour. I can do anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. You don't charge anything, right? Nope. Don't charge anything. There you go. There's going to be a small. Donuts. Yeah. He'll bring donuts. Small <laughs> yeah. sales pitch yeah. at the end. Yep. Hey, if you're going to have some, are you signed up for any continuing education stuff, or just come and do a free talk? I do. Well, I do. Um, one of the guys in my office does the Detroit Association of Realtors um, continuing education one. So I usually talk at that, too. Okay. Yeah. Like the, the, the year end. Yeah. Because you know, sometimes yeah. offices are worried about continuing. They got to get their credits all yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. So we can. I mean, and he can do um, he can do private ones like for offices as well, where I could 
participate as well. But he's a, he's a, a, a realtor as well, so he can do that. He's out of the Detroit office. He's a good guy if you need a real estate litigator, Randy Barker. There you go, he's folks. Like a bulldog. Lots, yeah. lots of options. Help him out. Takes time out of his day to do this, so I want you to do a couple things. First, share this. Let's see. Let's get this out there so as many people listen to it as possible. And if that sounds interesting, go ahead and reach out to him. All right, folks? If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, hook a brother up. Go on to iTunes and rate and review. That's really important to help grow this podcast. We're at 1,500 weekly listeners, and I would really like to be at 5,000 by August 2017. And one of two ways we're going to do that is rate and review on iTunes and share the podcast. And if you like the podcast, that's what you need to do because I am measuring this thing. If it doesn't make sense, I'm not going to keep doing it. So this is a two-way street, folks. I'll keep putting out great information, getting awesome people like Tim here to come in and chat. And you got to rate and review and share. That's one of the ways which you pay for the podcast. And if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or Facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. And of course, go to YouTube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know I do this every week. Pick some goals, stick with it, do something every day that gets you closer, even if it's one step. And I do want to thank you for your attention. I know you can be doing lots of other things right now. Until the next podcast, crush it.